This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Over the course of my life as a voter, as a politically involved citizen, I voted for Republicans, Democrats, Independents, every variety of person under the sun. And I, I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, and I try to hold everybody to some pretty high standards. Now, one of the things that has always driven me crazy, from the time I was a child, even before I was old enough to vote, is politicians who run for an office and simply stop doing their job while they're getting paid by the taxpayer and seek to run for a higher office. Somebody that's running for uh, president. President's the most egregious example, but uh, somebody that's running for president and is a congressman or a U.S. senator or a governor, and basically they view their job as being a full-time presidential candidate. Same thing with people that run for governor, people that run for U.S. Senate, and this is a bipartisan thing. Democrats do it. Republicans do it. I'll tell you, the one guy who I gave a lot of credit to was Bob Dole back in 1996. Bob Dole was running for president, and he said, I can't do my job effectively as a senator while running for president. So he resigned, resigned from the Senate. I think he was probably ready to be done with the Senate anyway, to work full-time as a presidential candidate. That's the exception, except in Philadelphia. I came across this terrific article, and I've linked to it on my Facebook page. You could read it, facebook.com slash moranofan. It's from Governing.com, which is a wonderful website all about the nuts and bolts of city government and state government. It uh, boils a lot of public policy issues down to ways uh, to uh, bite-sized issues that even people like me can understand. And the headline of this article that was written by Paul Mush, uh, Mushik, Mushchik, Mushchik, I don't know, this article written by Paul, let's say that is Philadelphia offers a great model for election integrity. Now, that's the first thing that caught my eye because Philadelphia is one of the, historically anyway, one of the most corrupt political cities and governmental cities in the whole country. So I was thinking, whoa, what is Philadelphia doing? That's right. And then I read this article. Philadelphia has a requirement in their city charter that if you run for an office you have to you, you're if you're an elected official you cannot run for another office and the whole situation in this article was that Pennsylvania could benefit from making this a state law and i got to tell you i think it's a great idea alan dome gave up his city council seat in philadelphia uh, i guess 2 weeks ago because he's considering running for mayor next year wouldn't this be nice if you actually forced elected officials to do their job? You don't want to do your job as a city council member, as a congressman, as a state legislator, because you're busy seeking higher office? God bless you. But why should the taxpayers be footing the bill for you to run around campaigning all over the place? The advantages that politicians have over non-politician candidates are, or non-elected official candidates is already so substantial. They get to benefit from the free franking. They get to benefit from going to governmental events that they then use to uh, 
spin into campaign events. And I would love to see a law like this in New York and in every city and every state in the country. And I'm curious, what do you think about it? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I find this Philadelphia law great. I would love to see a prohibition on elected officials seeking other offices while they're collecting a check from the taxpayer. It just drives me crazy to see a guy pledging to serve his full term, just reelected, and then the first thing they do is run for another office. This is, this is what happened with uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. Gillibrand ran for re-election back in 2018. She said repeatedly, she asked New Yorkers for their vote and their confidence for another six years. She said repeatedly in debates with her opponent at the time that she had no interest in running for another elective, uh, running for president. And what does she do? She pretty much immediately starts a presidential campaign. Now, did she, did that just occur to her out of nowhere? No, she knew she was going to run for president. She lied to the public. And the, the, where are the suckers? The taxpayers are the suckers in that we're paying her salary so that she can run around the country running for president, ignoring her own constituencies and her own responsibilities as a senator. Now, that's just one example. It's the one that comes to mind. But Democrats do it. Republicans do it. And I'm sick of it. And I think I agree with the, this article. And again, you could read it. Facebook.com slash Morano fan, that this Philadelphia prohibition is a good one. Uh, tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. Citizens deserve elected officials who are 100% committed to performing the duties of their office. And I don't think that's possible when you're campaigning for another job. It's also incredibly unfair because incumbent officials who are in the public eye already have an advantage. Every, every action they take, every vote, every piece of legislation introduced, every news release, every statement, it creates publicity and essentially becomes a free campaign ad. So why should people that happen to hold an office get to put their thumb on the scale for the office they're seeking? I mean, to me... There should be a level playing field with citizen politicians and professional politicians. And I realize there's a lot more that needs to be done to level the playing field, but I think this is a good start. I'd love to know what you think. 800-848-9222. The reaction on Facebook when I posted this over the weekend was, I think, unanimous in terms of people that uh, that thought this was a good idea. And I'm sure a lot of you uh, commented on it, but... I, uh, I look, will this create some problems for some people? You remember when Roger Stone was on this show and I was talking to him about Ron DeSantis because Stone is a Florida resident. Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida. And a lot of people believe that he's going to be running for president. And Roger, you could tell because he's in Trump world, he's sort of rooting against DeSantis. And basically what Roger said is that if he were Charlie Crist, assuming Charlie Crist wins the primary this week, is that if he were Charlie Crist in that in that first debate, make it all about one issue: Will you, Governor DeSantis, pledge to fill your you know serve your full term? And then uh, basically, if he will say if he says no, you 
kind of spin it that he's abandoning the people of Florida. Now, I don't know how effective that is. I think DeSantis is so uh, popular among a lot of Floridians than uh, that they wouldn't care if he was running for president. But why should the taxpayers of Florida have to pay for it? If he makes the decision to be a full-time candidate, let let him do his thing and let him step aside from his job. Uh, wide open lines, uh, 800-848-9222. Kenneth is back screening where he belongs. So uh, he is uh, you know, going to be greeting you. And uh, Alex Barnard is back from vacation. We'll check in with him, find out what he was up to for the last week and a day. I'm sure he'll have some interesting story. I I heard he was out uh, vacationing with uh, Chris from the Catskills, and uh, the two of them got together and they just spoke about themselves for the entire interaction. Not, not Neither of them listened to what the other one had to say, but it is interesting. Yes, that is correct. Uh, 800-848-9222. Hey, coming up a little bit later, I'm very excited about this. My friend Mike Porcelli is going to be here. Mike Porcelli is a master mechanic. Now, that's not me being complimentary. That's a description. There's a certain amount of certifications that you need to get before you're you're certified as a master mechanic. And he's been on a one-man mission to promote the cause of trade education. Namely, he thinks that there's too much emphasis on sending everybody to college, and he thinks that a lot of young people should be encouraged to pursue trades, carpentry, electrician, mechanic. So I'm looking forward to talking with him about this. Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al. Oh, Frank, yes. I just wanted to say I agree with you that they should – what uh, Kristen Gillibrand did was not right. But I don't think they're going to change it, uh, you know, even well, like... Well, no, because instance, they're benefiting from it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm amazed that they have this anywhere, especially in a city like Philadelphia, which is crawling with ambitious politicians. Yes, exactly. But I'm, I agree with you that they definitely should change it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Al. Maybe you could bring this up in Yonkers, because certainly in Westchester, there's a long history of politicians cashing a government check while seeking their next job. So we'll see. I think this is elemental, you know, and I'm actually going to encourage Curtis Lewa, if he runs for mayor again, to make this part of his platform in New York City, because it's not going to come from the people that are in office now because they want to be able to run for office while collecting their government check. Uh, it'll only come from an outsider type like a like a Curtis. 800-848-9222. Chris is on Long Island. Hello there, Chris. What's on your mind? Hi, um... I just wanted to let you know that I totally agree with what you just said about uh, politicians who are holding office not running for another office while they're supposed to be taking care of the office that they're holding. Uh, I mean, this goes not just with politicians. Uh, You know, it bothers me any time when... the, you hear things about the uh, the school budgets, for instance, and teachers running for um, um, contracts with higher salaries because they're not getting paid. They're only they're only working a part of the year, so it's not a yearly salary you're looking at. But then take it another step. How about all the vacation time that Biden has been taking? Well, I I actually got into a discussion about this. And thanks for the call, Chris. I appreciate you listening. I got into a discussion about this with uh, Sid Rosenberg the other day. You know, usually whoever 
the other side is will criticize a president for being on vacation too much, for golfing too much. They did it with Trump. They did it with Obama. They did it with George Bush. And the bottom line is, whether you like Biden or whether you like Trump or whether you like Bush or whether you like anybody, if you're the president, you're always the president. You're the president, whether you're at Camp David or in Rehoboth Beach or at Mar-a-Lago, you're always the president. You're never really on vacation. So I think the presidency is sort of a special a special circumstance. But I don't think you should be able to call yourself governor, call yourself congressman, and totally abdicate your responsibilities. I think Philadelphia has it right. And I know we have a lot of listeners in Philadelphia. I would actually love to hear from some of them as to how this works out there. Maybe this is one of those things that sounds great in practice or sounds great in theory, but in practice it has all these unintended consequences that I'm not aware of. I, my, my, the entirety of my knowledge about this is this one article in governing.com. I've done no additional investigation about it. Uh, so maybe there's more to it that is negative. I don't think so, though. I would love to see this in every city in America. 800-848-9222. Morris is in New Jersey. Hello, Morris. Hey, what's going on? You tell me, pal. Yeah, so I think your idea is is amazing. It only makes sense to do that. Anybody in in their right mind can't think that it should be it shouldn't be legal to campaign when you're an elected official already. You can't be doing your job properly. These guys are off in who knows where. Your governor could be off in Iowa campaigning for president while their state is going through some disaster. You know, it's 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 just crazy that it's that it's been going on all this time but my question is is it even possible um by any chance for for a law to be passed against that if the ones who have to pass a law are the elected officials who like this well idea no that that's i mean that's campaign. that's why it's so difficult and that's a great point i think the only way that it would ever be implemented is if it's mostly citizen-led initiatives like in new york if you collect uh, 50,000 signatures, you could get a question on the ballot in New York City to change this. I think that's the only way that that would happen. That's how New York City got term limits. Ron Lauder funded a campaign to get term limits on the ballot, and the people voted for it, and uh, that's that's why we got term limits. If it was up to politicians, we never would have term limits in New York City. I think this is the same kind of a thing. I don't know how it came to be in Philadelphia, if it was a citizen-led initiative or something else, but uh, I, uh, I think I agree with you. No politician is going to want to handicap themselves like this. But uh, I appreciate the call, Morris. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. E-Frank is in Astoria. Hello, E-Frank. Yes, hello, uh, Frank. You know, several weeks ago, my cousin David made a, a very uh, good point uh, on the Curtis Sliwa show, one of the shows. That's that hard Curtis to believe. Lewa and David was at, saying that political correctness is not the right thing. And, you know, I'm wondering, is it, is it that you're politically correct saying that uh, there are problems in the city of Philadelphia? It's the most corrupt city in America? Because I find hard to believe that the, the corruption is uh, something that is uh, tolerated in the city by its civilians and citizens. I, well, I don't know where you got that idea from. All right. Well, thank you, E. Frank. First of all, I didn't say it was the most corrupt. And I said historically, when it comes to political corruption, Philadelphia has a big problem. And that's true. 
if you look at the uh, the city's most powerful and longest serving congressman, Shaka Fatah, um, he ended up with the Abscam scandal in federal prison. If you look up Vince F- Vince Fumo, he was a legend in Democratic circles. Reigned, um, you know, it was in the state legislature for a long time. In 2009, he was convicted on federal corruption charges and served about two years of a five-year sentence. City Councilman Leland Bailoff, in 1987, convicted in an extortion plot with a former mob boss. The 1991 arrest of uh, Jimmy Taoon, who accepted money in exchange for political favors. Uh, The Philadelphia District Attorney, Seth Williams, the DA, the DA. Seth Williams pleaded guilty to one count of accepting a bribe. So, again, Philadelphia is not the only problem, is not the only place where there are corrupt politicians. There are corrupt politicians everywhere, I I think. And I don't know how Philly is now in terms of corruption. I said historically they've had a problem. But look, Atlantic City, my beloved Atlantic City, I mean, if you find a living mayor that has not gone to prison, that's an even rarer thing than hitting a number on the roulette wheel in Atlantic City. Uh, Suffolk County, Suffolk County on Long Island. You see what happened there. The police chief went to prison. The DA went to prison. The chief assistant DA went to prison. So um, there's a lot of corruption in Louisiana, for instance. So I didn't say Philadelphia is the most corrupt. I said they have a history of corruption. That's it. All right. If you want to comment on this, you're welcome to 800-848-9222. We're going to get into a bunch of other issues as well. one 800 848 9222. This is the other side of midnight. Still to come, we have commendations at uh, 3 a.m. Uh, excuse me, at uh, in our third hour. I know people listening in different time zones. I hate to I hate to say that, but oh, uh, commendations coming up and a bunch of other fun things that we'll share with you. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. about John Edwards there. Um, If you ever want to know what kind of music we play on the show, just join our Facebook group. We post the songs that we play each and every day. Uh, Just search on Facebook, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O, Fans and Haters on Facebook. Hey, have you been following what is happening in Finland? I have to tell you, I think this is the silliest thing in the world. Now, um... I'll be honest with you. Prior to a month ago, I don't think I had ever heard of the Finnish prime minister. And that's only because of the Finland membership in NATO. She got a lot of publicity for that. And I don't know anything about her politics. I mean, I've researched her a little bit. But over the weekend, 
excuse me, over the weekend, I am seeing her attacked for this giant international nothing burger of a story, and I feel the need to defend her. So um, if you haven't heard about this, in a leaked video, Finland's prime minister, I believe her name is pronounced Sana Marin, she's seen, she's a young woman, relatively attractive, 36 years old. She's seen dancing and singing with friends at a private party. And she poses for the camera. She sits on her knees, hands behind her head. She's entangled in a group hug. She's having a good time. There's been all sorts of other similar videos shared daily on social media by young and even not so young people partying in Finland and all over the world. But this leak of the Finnish prime minister partying has triggered this huge debate. It started as a debate within Finland. Now it's an international debate. I I, uh, was watching one of the cable news shows yesterday. They were debating this on American television, whether this woman should resign or not. Um, So really the debate is what level of reveling is inappropriate for a prime minister, especially considering, you know, that Finland is in a very precarious position geographically in the midst of this whole Russia-Ukraine war. You know, if Finland has to go to war with Russia, for instance, if you're a Finnish person, do you really want your prime minister looking like she's drunkenly partying and cozying up to some men? And that was the other thing. She's getting a little cozy with three or four men, apparently. And there was all sorts of allegations of infidelity. So she uh, she has faced all sorts of questions about this. Number one, was there drugs at the party? Was there alcohol at the party? Was she working or on a summer vacation? Was the prime minister sober enough to handle an emergency had one arisen? So this video is clearly shot by someone at the party. And it was leaked on social media. Can we start with that, by the way? Who are these people that go to parties and look to get video designed to embarrass someone? This is a woman who probably thought she was having a good time with some friends. And little did she know, one of these rats was sneakily trying to videotape her so that they could... I don't know, sell this video somewhere or leak it on social media and get a whole bunch of hits on their social media account. Who would do this to someone? I think it's terrible. So this video, which is clearly shot by someone at the party, was leaked on social media and it caught the attention of the media. And the prime minister said she attended the party in recent weeks, but she refused to say exactly where and when. So now, now she has taken a drug test to prove that she wasn't on drugs. And uh, she said she resents that the videos of her partying have been made public. And I agree with her. I think there's no reason she should be dealing with this amount of criticism right now. And you know who agrees with me? A group of people that I can always count on, the women of Finland. The women of Finland are now, in rallying to her defense... And posting all sorts of party videos to back up this woman, uh, the prime minister, uh, Sanaa Marin. Hundreds of Finnish women 
posted social media films of themselves dancing and partying in support of the prime minister after she became embroiled in this scandal. So there were memes of these women dancing and enjoying themselves with friends posted with the hashtag solidarity with Sanaa. Um, and uh, I say good for these women. And uh, it looks like they're having a good time. I recognize that you want your leaders to be in a position to respond to a crisis. And sometimes if, you know, they're like Boris Yeltsin was, if they're drunk all the time, then that can raise some questions about how prepared a world leader is to deal with a crisis. I have no problem with a world leader letting his or her hair down and partying with some friends. And, you know, whether she was in the, committing infidelity or getting a little too flirtatious with some of these guys, who cares? Unless you're her husband, what do you care? That's my take. 800-848-9222. Let me know what you think. That's 800-848-9222. I think the guys from Wayne's World said it best. Party on. Party on, Wayne. Party on, Garth. I say party on Sanaa. 800-848-9222. You're welcome to disagree. Uh, it's going to be an awfully boring show if we have everybody agreeing with me. So whatever you can to raise the specter of disagreement, now's the time. Mark is in White Plains. Hello, Mark. Hey, Frank. How you doing? I'm great. Hey, Thanks uh, for asking. Long-time listener. I really enjoy your show. I love the variety of topics. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Stuff we hear. Thank you. Anyway, I'm talking about something from the last segment when you were talking about a politician should um, resign before they run. I was wondering what your take is on the politicians that are the incumbents, how much time they spend campaigning and how much maybe they can restrict some of that because like some of these guys start campaigning like a year into uh, a year before an election and they're spending a lot of time traveling, campaigning instead of doing their jobs. Is there any way you think we could curtail, you, you curtail know, that? So I, I'm sure there is. I think that becomes much more difficult because it's not exactly black and white, right? If, I, uh, if I'm um, going to a ribbon cutting somewhere and I give an inspirational speech that I hope wins me votes, am I doing that because that's my job or am I doing that because it's part of campaigning? I think that becomes, I think that becomes a lot tougher to police. My, my take is, Mark, let's figure this out first, meaning let's figure out you know, the the let's ban politicians from seeking another office while they're um, employed in the office they have. And then let's deal with the constant campaigning. I mean, I uh, so that's kind of where I come down. I think it's a much tougher thing to police. Yeah, I guess it makes sense to do things incrementally anyway. Right. Well, Mark, thanks for the call. Appreciate it very much. Uh- 800-848, and thanks for the nice words uh, about the program, 800-848-9222. If you want to email me, you can do so at frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. I got an email here from a gentleman named Isaac who just said, just on the subject of Philadelphia corruption, there, there was more than 1,000 federal convictions since 1979. In Philadelphia. So I feel like I was on pretty firm ground um, in saying that Philadelphia has a history of corruption. It's not the worst U.S. city in terms of corruption, but it's had a rough history. So uh, Jeff is in Queens. Hello there, Jeff. Did you just say 1,000? Yes. Wow. 1,000 federal convictions in a little more than 40 years. 
I'd like to know how it compares to other states, just by the way. Yeah, know. it's they're not the worst. They're not the worst, but they're they're far from the best. That's for sure. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying. I'm saying uh, if other states have even have 500, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's good. We'll 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 delve into that. Uh, Philadelphia is apparently number seven in the country for total public corruption convictions over the last four decades. Now, now, okay. I guess you know you could make the argument, Jeff, that. Maybe the fact that they're prosecuting corruption and throwing these people in prison, whereas in other places they may not prosecute people to begin with, maybe they would say, oh, that right. shows we take this seriously. But uh, right. whatever, I guess, I guess uh, to right. make your own now judgment. Now I call. Now yeah. I call. Go ahead. Now I call. Uh, on, the fin- on the Finland situation, I just wanted to throw in the issue of, uh, you know, in the 16th century in America, we, we, we got a bad, bad taste of it. It's called Puritanism. And the reason why you know people came here from Europe was to escape. I I just complicated the picture because if those who were escaping puritanical, forget that. Let's go with puritanism in America in what the 16th, 17th centuries. So around the world, you have puritanism. I mean, yeah, you have that. That's the issue of dancing and partying is obviously antithetical. Right to this Puritan mentality, you mean. Right, which is a struggle around the world in every religion and every society. Yeah. You know? Right. No, absolutely, Jeff. Thank you. And I have to say, and I, you know me, I am not politically correct. I am not somebody that lo- loves to finish my sentences by saying women and minorities most affected. But I really do think that this prime minister is being held to a different standard and being criticized a bit more than she otherwise would because she's a female, because she's young, and because she's pretty. I I really do think that. If this was a 75-year-old, homely-looking guy dancing and uh, having a good time at a party, would people be raising questions about his ability to lead the country? I suspect not. I suspect not. I really do think there's an element of sexism here, an element of ageism. And I don't know what you call discrimination against somebody because they're attractive. What is that? What is that? Is that lookism? I don't know. If, anybody, if anybody's been discriminated against because they're attractive, I know Kenneth is discriminated against regularly by Sid uh, Rosenberg because he's handsome. Uh, but if you know the name of that term, let me know. 800-848-9222. That's 800 Two two two. Don is on Long Island. Hello, Don. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Good. I uh, just wanted to uh, uh, remind you to, uh, if you would, continue the discussion about extraterrestrials that you began late last week. And yeah, about about the that. about the photo that was revealed, yeah. or about some other yeah. aspect of it. Yes. No. That, the photo. Yeah, we actually, I uh, we have some interesting guests booked this week. To continue the discussion of that photo, so I appreciate the reminder, Don. Um, on uh, we had we had interesting folks all week, but um, if people don't know what Don is talking about, basically there was this photo that's thirty years old, and we spoke with a senior lecturer on Friday, who essentially confirmed that it was not a forgery or photoshopped, and although he he gave himself some wiggle room. And the photo looks like a flying saucer. And the, pu- the, the person that published this photo does not believe it's otherworldly. He believes it's something that was, that's created by a government on Earth. 
a high-end piece of military equipment that they were experimenting with at the time. Could be. Could be. I don't know. But uh, I I think the photo is interesting. So we're going to do some segments this coming week and in the future analyzing this photo, going through its history. I think it's so interesting that the Scottish government kept this photo under wraps for 30 years, and it was only because one person in the military there hid it that it's even out there now. Uh, so we'll get it. we will get into that, but thank you for the reminder, Don. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on the Finnish prime minister or anything we're talking about. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Murphy singing the anthem of partyism. Yes, Eddie Murphy, the actor, those of you, and comedian, those of you that forgot he was a, uh, a singer. And actually a pretty good singer. Not just here, but, um, you know, in the musical Dreamgirls, he's terrific. And uh, he's a very talented entertainer, I must say. Um, and uh, we're talking about the story regarding the Finnish prime minister, if you want to comment on that. Uh, by the way, we want to welcome back um, our producer, Alex Barnard, who was away all of last week. Uh, we were able to keep things together without him for a week, but uh, we did miss him. Um, Kenneth, are you happy that Alex is back, or did you enjoy having the opportunity to shine last week? Uh, I can't hear you, so we'll wait until... Matt Blaze can, um, you know. Can, I'll say, can, um, oh, there you go. go. Honestly, I enjoyed having, you know, extra responsibility just to see if I could handle it. But I'll say that it was definitely, I appreciate Alex's job a lot more. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. For sure. Um, is Alex's job more difficult than it appears, as difficult as it appears, or less difficult than it appears? Um, I'd say. I'll answer honestly. honestly. No, I'd say a little, a little more difficult than it appears yeah you were a, a little there's a lot of there, no there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff really? that yeah, alex you, does you were that, a villain on friday getting that podcast uh, i know like, i know i was able to, to get it under yeah control, no i appreciate but, you let me bother you on a friday night <laughs> to get it fixed no nah, that was my but fault. uh welcome back alex barnard thank you very so much where did you go you went to uh lake george or lake placid lake placid, lake placid yeah. home of the olympics right that yes year. 1980 and also 1932 actually but oh really yeah so were um, you gone for you we were there for the whole week uh, yeah, pretty much the whole week. Uh, I did spend one day at home uh, beforehand just to kind of rest up. Sure, uh, pack and pack, stuff. Things yeah. like that, yeah. So who did you go with? I went with my girlfriend, Callie. Uh, we overlapped with my mom and her boyfriend who were who had been spending the past two weeks there. Um, Do you have one a place night. there, your family? or? Yeah, we own, we own a place there. My mom's been going there since she was uh, <laughs> like 10 years old, I think, something like that. It's and my you have, house. I guess, too. I've been going. Yeah, I've been going. Do so you really like baby. it up there? I love it there. Now, yeah. 
Uh, how long are you with your girlfriend now? Six months? Less? Uh, no, less. This is about four, almost five months. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now, that is, you know, that's around the point in a relationship where if you listen to what George told Jerry on Seinfeld, those those weekends, let alone a whole week-long vacation, those can be relationship killers. Uh, how did you guys fare on your first, uh, well, I don't know if it is your first, but your first vacation away together? Well, actually, so while my mom was was gone those past two weeks, she was also staying with me at uh, at my apartment. Totally so, different. Totally different when you but, have a normal routine. Well, no. So when you think and about you're cohabitating it, though, versus a vacation atmosphere, we we had the best time together. Really? Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, you're still together? Of course. Good. Yeah. Okay. No, it was a wonderful time. We relaxed. We played mini golf. Went to the beach. Went on a hike. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. If people are thinking about visiting Lake Placid, what are the big to-dos? Okay, so the biggest thing that a lot of people go for is the hiking because they're surrounded by um, the 46 Adirondack Peaks. And if you climb all 46, like my uncle and my cousin have, you become part of this elite hikers club called the 46ers. And it's uh, it's sort of like this, uh, you know proud moment in uh, any hiker's life to have climbed all 46 of the Adirondack Peaks. Now, when you say a hike, now, hiking to me, it's just walking around, right? I mean, you're walking around in nature, right? It's so, yes, but it's also, it's not like you're rock climbing, for example. Well, that's what I was going to ask, right? So no. when you, you use the term climb on these Adirondack Peaks, so when you, your, your uncle and, and your other relative, when you say they climbed these Adirondack Peaks, they walked up them. Right, they walk them, but it's it's, it's not like it, I know, it's yeah. inclined. Yeah, it's, yeah. there's a okay. bit of an incline. Yeah, got it. All right. Well, we're happy to have you back. I hope you you're uh, well rested and uh, I am more or less. And, uh, yeah. More or less. Okay. Right. <laughs> I, I you know you get you drink on weekends sometimes. You know? Do you? Yeah. No, yeah I don't yeah. know anything about that. I yeah. not, oh, really? I, I I've never well, had yeah, a drink. No, well, because. I feel like you're, you're, you're not just the weekends anymore. That's right. But yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Welcome back, Alex. 800-848-9222. The Fugazi Tom is in the Bronx. Hello, Fugazi Tom. Hey, what's up, Frank? You um, tell me. About the lady that's um, from Finnish. Is that it? Uh, Finland. That's yes, right. Okay. I mean, why not? She's still a human being. Human beings still have human needs, like enjoying life. You know, meeting more down-to-earth people, getting a better all-over view outside of an office. Well, I mean, what's, what's the, the problem with that? Now, the fakes are people that, when you see them have everything in place, never smiles, you know, and has a stern face, you know, because they want you to believe that they're so serious about everything. Now, if you if you can't go out and enjoy yourself... How good can you do your job? I mean, you make it your life too boring if you don't do that. I agree with you. I agree with you, Fugazi Tom. Thank you. I got an email here from Nathaniel. Um, <laughs> subject, the Finnish floozy. <laughs> Frank, your feeling is admirable towards Sanaa, but hypocritical. By the way, I hypo, hypocrisy is the worst charge you can throw at me. Because I have embraced the title of hypocrite. We're all hypocrites. And as I've said repeatedly, it's not my quote. Someone smarter than me said this. Hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays to virtue. So I saying that I'm hypocritical about something, it does nothing 
to take the wind out of my sails. But let me read you what Nathaniel had to say here. Frank, your feeling is admirable towards Sanaa, but hypocritical. Remember your female friend you used to have, quote, lunch dates with. I'm not sure why that's in quotes. Um, remember the controversy it caused on the air and Facebook. Why was it okay for you to see her, but Sanaa is doing something wrong? Seems that the European attitude to adversity is to party to relieve stress, relieve the stress, just thinking. I don't understand the charge of hypocrisy at all. I'm not against people in my orbit having a lunch date or um, or the people in Finland. I don't understand the hypocrisy at all. Nathaniel, if you want to explain this further, you're welcome to give me a call. I do not understand what you're trying to say. By the way, uh, speaking of the world, uh, oh, and uh, Ellen writes, hi, Frank, I think it's a question of degree. Is this woman out partying all of the time? If not, and it's an occasional thing, then why not? After all, she's human. Exactly. Exactly. That's what the Fugazi Tom from the Bronx said. Exactly. We're all human. In spite of, uh, well, Curtis Lee, we may not be, but everyone else is. A couple of quick things. One, I um, am real. So I'm on Twitter, at Frank Morano, and I'm trying to poke at some of the local elected officials in my community. Now, I have no intention of running for office anytime soon, but some of the elected officials in my community are are kind of annoying me. So I, ha- I I kind of put something on Twitter teasing the fact that uh, that I might you know, run for something. And uh, it has created quite a media firestorm. So I am hoping that that whips some of the elected officials in my community into shape a little bit and makes them more responsive to a couple of the things that I'm hoping they'll be responsive to. So if you want to keep... St- Takes you know uh, stoking the flames along with me. You can do so. Just find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. Give me a retweet for that tweet that I tweeted yesterday, or uh, give it a like, and that'll just drive people crazy. Uh, that's uh, Frank M O R A N O. Frank M O R A N O. The other thing, um, there's there's a whole discussion in the Facebook group about um, let's see here. Oh, about scrambled eggs. And I uh, see I said scrambled for you people that get so upset that I say scrambled. Folks, it's so incredible to me what they get worked up over. But there's a lot of people commenting about the scrambled egg recipe that uh, that we that we shared from The New York Times on Friday. And one woman actually wrote, I wouldn't trust any recipe that's in the New York slimes. Now, what sense does that make? So I get that you don't like the New York Times political coverage. Maybe you don't like the editorial page. But either a recipe is good or it isn't. Why should the fact that it was published in the New York Times keep you from trying it? Uh, To me, I can't imagine going through life that way. That is wild. Uh, All right. 800-848-9222. Mike is in Manhattan. Hello, Mike. Hey. Hey. Yes. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. Love What's your on show. your mind, Mike? Thanks. Hey, I got I got a great story for you. It's around twelve o'clock today, right? Okay. All of a sudden, I'm sitting in my in my room. It's an SRO on East uh, on on, uh, on East Twenty Third. Vanity there. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, we dumped yeah. you, but just be careful, Mike. All right, all right. 
garbage starts flying out the windows. Some guy must have had a real bad head day. Everything. He's emptying his apartment out in into the into the uh, into the street. Everything. You you probably won't hear this on the news. Everything. His bedroom. His sink. His toilet. His kitchen. His his air conditioner. His uh, refrigerator. Everything's going. His TV. Everything. He rips the doors off the uh, off the hinges. Everything is going into the foyer. Everything is going down. And it, 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 stripped, it, it, it had nothing left, probably. And there's a bomb just started like at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm saying to myself, is this some sort of new way of constructing uh, a, a gorilla ring? What we used to call a gorilla ring, you know, when you rip apart an apartment, you know. All right, so um, what do you think happened? Well, I, I, I called down to uh, the security. I said, you know, there's a, 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 some kind of nut on all those furniture and everything. He even took the cabinets off the walls and threw them out. He took the doors off the, the bathrooms and threw them out. He took the toilet bowl and threw that out. And, and I called down to the security and I said, well, we're well aware of that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate you sharing that. I got to tell you, um, I had a, I had thought that that story was going to have a better ending. Right? I mean, didn't you? Didn't you think there was going to be more of a punchline there? I wanted to hear what else he was throwing out. <laughs> and I thought there was going to be something, right. like, I mean, something uh, like really good that yeah, he threw out. Right. That's right. what I'm saying. Like, like a Mona Lisa or something. I mean, something. Like, that was kind of b- b- like a boring story for all that effort. That I invested in listening. I don't know. Uh, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Janice is in Brooklyn. Hello, Janice. Janet, with an E-T. Janet. Oh, Jeanette. Uh, Janet, yes. I said Janet. Um, I'm very nervous. Oh, I thought you said Janice. Okay, I'm I'm very nervous. Don't be nervous. Okay. Um, I really like your show. It's very absorbing, and it keeps me up all night. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I I feel pretty absorbed myself. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Especially when you tell stories, um, real stories, real life. Um, Thank you. And I'm glad you explained also about Curtis that he he doesn't really mean it about you because I was getting upset about. Oh no no okay. don't 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 get <laughs> but upset. I try don't not you. to get upset anymore. Yeah, don't get upset. Okay, I'd rather he just be himself and talk about other things that he talks about. Well, in fairness, he's got a he's got a lot of airtime you know? to fill. Yeah. Okay. So before I forget the word, I I write poetry, so I think about words a lot, and there and um, certain. I, I'm intrigued. I'm sort of thrilled by certain words, especially when I hear words that seem to be made up, but in their combination, like um, you shrink the package, but you charge more the same or more shrinkflation. Right, shrinkflation. I like that like, one. Like, yeah, I, I, I really get a kick out of that when things are a combination of words. Um, anyway, I thought it was aestheticism. Wait, wait, that's what the word for... Uh, looks, looks... Um, uh, if you're discriminating against, against somebody because good looks, they're good-looking... Aesthetics have to do with looks. Okay, uh, 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 give me the word again. Aestheticism. Aestheticism. Okay, I, that's I not bad. I didn't look it up, I just thought of it. 
All right. I like it. I like it, Janet. I, I don't know if it's a real word or not. That, well, I, I'll, I'll take it. We'll use that. We'll adopt it. Janet, you got to mail us some of your poems, okay? We'd love to read some. Oh, thank you. <laughs> as long as no one, you know, claims it's theirs. <laughs> uh, well, we won't, uh, we won't, we won't give you, get you in trouble for plagiarism. Mm-hmm. Janet, thanks for calling. Mm-hmm. Thanks for your nice words about the show. Appreciate it. Oh, by the way, that, the other thing I was going to share, if you go to my Facebook page at facebook.com slash MoranoFan, I have posted the video of my testimony Thursday evening from the um, New York City Redistricting Commission. It's only three minutes, but uh, so far the reviews have been pretty good. It's all about, I, mean, I don't want to get into the weeds. If you want to watch it, you can. Um, and I won't say anything further because it's kind of a, a super local issue. But if you're interested, take a look. Neil is on Staten Island. Neil, I saw your email yesterday. First of all, congratulations on your son's wedding. Two, I don't know if that was Photoshop that you sent me, but was Bill de Blasio, the former mayor of New York, really at your son's wedding this weekend? Yep, today, Charlene and uh, and Bill. Yeah, so I didn't know that your son uh, ran with that kind of a, a, circle, a, a circle. It's funny, uh, me and my son are both uh, super MAGA, but his wife is uh, a Democrat. Uh, and Bill's uh, her friend. Well, no, but irrespective of their politics, how do they know Bill de Blasio and Shirlane McRae? Well, my, my my daughter-in-law worked on Al Gore's campaign. Oh, okay. And, okay, wow. And then uh, when he met her and she told him he was uh, running for councilman and he wanted her on his team, so... That's how we first. Uh, oh, so they go back a while, over twenty years. A long time. Wow. Long time. Um, so, my was that the first time you met De Blasio? That's the first time I met him. They've been to City Hall several times. Right. No, no, I'm, I'm sure. So now, my experience, as critical as I've been of De Blasio as a mayor, is on a personal level, he's a pretty nice guy. Was that your your impression? He is a gem. I tried to send you the video of the speech he made, but it's too big. I got to figure out how to get it to you. He is absolutely a gem. And when he went over to meet me, there was something I wanted to ask him. And I said to him, you know, Bill, uh, if you look at my jacket, I wear an American flag lapel pin. I said, I've never seen you with an American flag lapel pin. I've never seen Mayor Adams with an American flag lapel pin. And I've never seen the great Joe Borelli with an American flag lapel pin. Why is that? Well, I've seen Borelli with an American flag lapel pin. But, um, but by the way, did you happen to ask him what happened to his promised appearance on this radio program? You know what? I was going to ask him to come on a show, and my son said, uh, "Don't say nothing." No, all right. Well, no. I mean, I already asked him, and he told me yes. Somehow, he uh, has not lived up to that. Neil, thanks for the call. Congratulations to your son and to your daughter-in-law and the, the whole family. Thank you, Frank. I wanted to mention the flying. Oh, sure. Thing. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, this goes back to like the nineteen fifties when you had those crazy uh, uh, fictional TV shows where they showed a saucer nice and round. I think that's what it is. If you notice the Apollo mission, the Gemini, the space shuttle, everything that's been sent up into space, nothing's round like a saucer. I think it's just a Hollywood thing, and they keep propagating this thing over and over and over again. Well, Neil, maybe you're maybe you're right. Could certainly be. Thank you very much, Neil. It's uh, you know one other thought on De Blasio that I'll share in just a moment. But do we have a problem with? young men in this country. We'll explore it. 
In the meantime, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. There are three stories that are somewhat related that I want to bring to your attention and get your take on. Really two, two and a half, I guess. For the last month and a half, I have had this story in my stack of stuff, but it's not really timely. So a lot of the times what they call an evergreen story it doesn't get to the top of the stack of stuff. If it's something I could do Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, a lot of times I just end up doing it because so much of the content that we do is timely and is relevant. And this is the story. Scott Adams, who is a very bright man, and he was the creator of Dilbert, uh, he has a pretty bleak take on our country's dangerous young man problem. And after the recent mass shooting in Highland Park, Illinois, Scott Adams was speaking out about this situation. And his conclusions, by his own admission, are not easy to read. The Dilbert creator also brought the fentanyl overdose epidemic into the mix less than four years after his own stepson fatally overdosed on that drug. This is a a quote from Scott Adams in a series of tweets about a month and a half ago. The Highland shooting and every fentanyl overdose death among the young are teaching us the same lesson and we refuse to learn it. It's difficult, but I'm qualified to give you this lesson. Unfortunately, this won't be easy to read. And then he kicks off this series of tweets inspired by that uh, 4th of July parade shooting that left seven people dead and more than three dozen wounded. And he says, when a young man, let's say 14 to 19, is a danger to himself and others, society gives the supporting family two options. One, watch people die. Two, kill your own son. Those are your only options. I chose number one, and watched my stepson die. I was relieved he took no one else with him. He dismissed as delusional anyone who thinks that there's another way involving tough love and governmental assistance that fixes such a person. Adams rejected the notion that services and ways to deal with such a teen exist. Quote, if one more person hallucinates to me about some program where teens are kidnapped and fixed and returned to their happy parents, I might explode. No such thing exists. You have two options, only two. No help is coming, only death and suffering. And it's clear this is a very emotional subject for him. Um, But he has made a video on this, and this ignited quite a firestorm. So on Twitter, he writes, if I were to invent a solution 
to the dangerous young man problem. I think it would involve putting them all in one place so they could only hurt each other, not necessarily in jail, just away from society. Once they are separated from society and drugs, maybe help is possible. And he acknowledged that while seeming dangerous wasn't enough to take away someone's autonomy, society has, in his opinion, reached a place where it has to be considered. Otherwise, parents have two options and you get more of what we're getting. And this was not some random middle-of-the-night drunken Twitter screed that he went and deleted. No, the next day after he wrote everything that I just described to you, he doubled down on this in his podcast. And I'm sorry I didn't pull the audio. I didn't think to do it. But this is what he said on his podcast. We don't have any systems in place that can deal with a dangerous young male who has not yet broken a law. That's the important part. There's nothing you can do. He said he tried to deliver some tough reality in the Twitter thread, and then he talked extensively about all the things that are impossible to do when dealing with your own troubled child, even if you have the resources that he does. There isn't a blanking thing you can do about it. And people were reacting to this pretty much totally appalled at what Scott Adams was saying. Scott, I'm very confused. Is this some sort of performance art? Surely you aren't actually advocating for the execution of troubled young men. That's what one Twitter person wrote. Another Twitter user writes, as a therapeutic parenting specialist and an adoptive parent of previously traumatized kids, I can tell you that you are definitely wrong. Kids can recover. And then um, it was almost universal condemnation for what Scott Adams was saying. Curious what you think, number one, 800-848-9222. There were a couple of people that did agree with him. Um, One person tweeted, uh, Henry Vogel, I faced this situation with a foster son. Nothing we tried helped him. When he became a danger to my family, especially my autism spectrum son, I had to let him go. He took his own life a few years later. Though I can't imagine what else I could have done, I still feel guilty. Scott Adams writes back, Henry, I'm here for you. There's nothing you could have done. Curious what you think of Scott Adams' take on this at 800-848-9222. And then last weekend in the New York Post, one of my favorite writers, Nicole Gelinas, who you can hear regularly on the Cats at Night show, and she's a fixture in talk radio. She's a brilliant woman. She writes for City Journal. She was a a fellow with the Manhattan Institute. Brilliant woman. She had uh, a whole column in the Post last weekend about traffic, traffic deaths specifically. Headline, like with drug addiction and violent crime, young men fuel traffic deaths. And she chronicles all these stories of horrible traffic accidents that, yes, involve young men, not just in New York, but around the country. And uh, it's really the heartbreaking story after heartbreaking story of people killed in these traffic deaths. And uh, she writes, since the arrival of COVID in March of 2020, Traffic deaths in New York City have skyrocketed, and not just in New York, 
Much like with spiraling homicides and drug overdoses, traffic deaths have surged across the nation. In the first five months of 2022, 93 people died in traffic crashes in New York City. That's down slightly from last year, but 12 percent above where we were before COVID. The rise in traffic fatalities is a particular blow to former Mayor de Blasio, who made traffic safety a centerpiece of his time in office. As a candidate in 2013, he promised to build upon the double-digit fatality reductions of his predecessors, Mike Bloomberg and Rudy Giuliani. Needless to say, he did not do that. Um, Now, Gelinas writes, who then is perishing now in greater numbers? The victims fit the profile of those killed in the car crashes noted above. Young men, both drivers and passengers, often speeding and often late at night, New York's increase in traffic deaths mirrors its and the nation's broader public safety problem. The self-destructive and dangerous behavior of a young male demographic. As with the recent explosion in violent crime, young adults and older teen males are taking advantage of a law enforcement vacuum that lets them get away with ever more antisocial behavior until it kills them or someone else. It's never been a secret that male drivers, particularly young male drivers, are responsible for most traffic deaths. 2010 City Study found that 80% of pedestrian crashes involve male drivers. And that gender breakdown has not changed much over the last 12 years. Men were behind the wheel in, you ready for this? 81.4% of fatal crashes in 2021 and 2022. And the other risk factor that has grown even riskier, young drivers. In 2020, drivers under the age of 30 were in 100 fatal crashes. That was up 42.9% from 2017 and 2019. In 2021, the trend continued. Young males responsible for 83 fatal crashes, or 28.2% of the total. Um, Bad drivers, like other antisocial behaviors, have proved since 2020 that they're not going to control themselves. So she makes the case that they should look at doing what they did in the Giuliani era when someone was caught drinking and driving. She makes the case they should take the car away. And that's a separate discussion. I am curious as to your take on the angry young man problem. Nicole Gelinas, Scott Adams, you might not agree with either or both of their conclusions. But I think you'd have a tough time disagreeing with the data, which is when it comes to drug overdoses, when it comes to violent crime, when it comes to traffic fatalities, and when it comes to other things like suicide. We have a problem with young men in this country. And my question for you is twofold. One, why do you think that's the case? Why do you think we are seeing young men gravitate towards all sorts of antisocial behavior? 800-848-9222. And two, what do you think we can do about it? 800-848-9222. Now, With that in mind, this is sort of the third leg of this and the the more upbeat leg of this. I am of the belief that a lot of this, maybe not all, 
But a lot of this comes down to parenting and child rearing in general. And I think about this constantly now that I have a, a son. He's only nine months old. But I, I, all I think about is wanting him to be a well-adjusted, content human being that doesn't engage in these kind of antisocial behaviors like drugs and violent crime and mass shootings and getting into car accidents and things of that nature. That's all I can think about. And I think, how can you raise a son in such a manner? So Lenore Skenazy, who is one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite experts when it comes to parenting, and, and somebody whose parenting philosophy I really agree with, she has an organization and a website called LetGrow.org. And a Let Grow Dad wrote to her the following. Dear Lenore, I recently finished reading Free Range Kids. I have a few questions at the bottom of the email. I really enjoyed the book. It helps shift my thinking about how we are treating our kids these days. It has reduced my stress and anxiety level about many topics related to parenting. Been talking about the topics with my 75-year-old mother, and she jokingly said, I am surprised they had to write a book about this, because as a kid, she and many in her generation, as you've pointed out, were doing many of the things you were suggesting. At the same time, she has that feeling that the world is less safe today than it used to be. I wonder if parents of past generations let their kids be more free intentionally. My estimation is that they did not. It was just a means for them to have more time. It will be the newer generation of parents that will have to intentionally choose to let their kids be more free because they realize the benefits. Real-world questions. I did have some questions after reading the book. And I empathize with this dad. I feel like I have some of these same questions. And I've read this book, and I liked it too. One, I definitely want to get my 5-year-old daughter outside more. Her brother is 15 months and not walking yet, so she usually doesn't have a playmate. Looking for ideas or resources of things to have outside for her to play with. I know that some kids just played with sticks, and that's a fine answer, but maybe there are a few things that could entice them to get outside the door. Two, ideas and resources about some of the best things for my kids to play with inside. I will say we have been keeping shipping boxes longer. Last week we had a boat and an ice cream stand out of a few boxes. Three, ideas and resources about age-appropriate tablet slash computer games. And then four, and this is what I'd really like your suggestions for, recommendations and resources on, um, oh, actually, uh, there's one other thing that I want your suggestion. Recommendation and resources on discipline methods. Is there any consensus within the free-range community? And then um, basically this whole article is geared towards soliciting suggestions from people about books. Books that will, that he can get recommendations, this gentleman is named Will, about um, books, activities, and community-building ideas that will make your kids curious, active, and independent. And so I'm wondering if these two areas are related is the 2022 angry young man problem which manifests itself in alarming rates of traffic accidents drug use and violence among other things tied to a lack of books and activities to make 
young people, but especially young men, curious, active, and independent. And if you were going to give a recommendation, I'm going to post this on Facebook, too, because I thought it was interesting. Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. If you were to give a recommendation as to what books, activities, and uh, resources would make your child or my child curious, independent, and thoughtful, what would you suggest? 800-848-9222. So it's a three-part question. One, um, first of all, you're, you're welcome to disagree with the premise of the question in that you could say we don't have an angry young man problem, although I think the data would belie that. One, what's causing this? Two, how do you fix it? Three, what recommendations do you have for books and activities that can make a child curious, active, and independent? By the way, uh, on the topic that we began the show with um, about politicians not doing their job while they seek another office, uh, one gentleman writes me about the voting record of Lee Zeldin. Not surprisingly, since Lee Zeldin has been running for governor, he's missed a lot of votes. And the absentee rate of his time in Congress has gone up significantly as compared to before he ran for governor. That doesn't surprise me in the least. And I would venture to guess that's probably true of people that run for governor in various states in both parties. So uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. The one thing that I did want to say about uh, the call that Neil had regarding Bill de Blasio not wearing a, uh, an American flag lapel pin. I remember in 2009, maybe 2010, I think it was 2009, it was Columbus Day. And I was at a parade and they were honoring the Grand Marshal, John Fusco, a former judge and uh, city councilman, a great guy, a friend of mine. And he was speaking, and he was talking all about the Italian immigrant experience. And Bill de Blasio, who was the public advocate at the time, or actually I guess he was running for public advocate. It might have been 2010 because he was already the public advocate. Bill de Blasio happens to be sitting next to me, right? And it's a room, maybe about 40 or 50 people. There's dancing, there's singing, and everybody's clapping, and different dignitaries. And John Fusco was speaking about the Italian immigrant experience. And he finishes his remarks about his admiration for Italian immigrants that came to this country and came to New York and what they went through. And he finishes by talking about all the great things that Italian immigrants did. And he emphasizes, and they learned English. And he talks about how important it was that these immigrants not only learned English themselves, but taught it to their children. And that was certainly the case with my grandfather, who spoke heavily accented English, but he's, his children are fluent in English because he wanted them to learn English. So I, I, what Fusco said really resonated with me. So I clapped, and everybody else in the room clapped, except for one guy. The guy sitting next to me, Bill de Blasio, he didn't clap. When Fusco was praising immigrants coming here and learning English and integrating into society, the only person that didn't clap was Bill de Blasio. And I took note of it. I mean, I remember it 12 years later, the fact that he didn't clap. All right. I want to grab a couple of quick calls on this, and then we're going to continue on a bunch of other things as well. 800-848-9222. We have an angry young man problem. Why? What do you do about it? 
What books, resources, activities can you recommend so that your child is well-adjusted, if any? I, I don't accept this Scott Adams premise that you just have to watch your kid die or kill someone else. I refuse to accept that. Al is in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Hey, Frank. How you doing? Great. Thank you. So, Frank, let me tell you, this is a multi, multi uh, dimensional problem. So you just can't you can't get it all out at one time. But, but I can tell you some stories about my kids. Well, close your car do door first and then tell us. I, no, it's open. My, my car door is closed. Okay. I'm hearing something. There was a chiming there. Yeah. Seatbelt. Anyway. Oh, seatbelt. I remember them. I had twin. I have twins, and I stole their identity, like most fathers will do. They, you don't want them to live your life, so you kind of shelter them. I moved my kids away, and then sometimes when they don't do the right thing, and I look at them and say, "Don't you realize?" And then I stop myself. I stole their identity. I didn't want them to grow up like me, so I moved them away. So how can I expect them to think like me? So when they were younger, they two incidences happened. One was I told them, stop feeding the dog from the table. Stop feeding the dog from the table. You don't want to listen to me. The next day, I gave them the dog food, and I put their food on the floor for the dog. Well, they learned very quickly. The next incident was they come into my room, and my, one of my sons is mad at me. I don't want to live here anymore. Oh, yeah, where do you want to live? I want to go with my uncle. Okay, tomorrow, pack your bags and get out. He's five years old. His brother, the twin, comes in and says, and his name is Alex, the other one is Nick. Alex says, Dad, I want to talk to you. I say, yeah, what do you want to talk about? Well, I think he's going to apologize. Say, please let Nick stay. Boop, boop, boop. Nope. He says, I want to go with my brother. Really? Both of you get out of here. Tomorrow you go to your uncle's house. Tomorrow came. I packed him up. I took him over there. It felt like a month. It was probably a week. And they were calling. Can I come back? But in the meantime, my daughter says to me, Dad, can I have their room? <laughs> Absolutely. I got all their furniture out. And when they finally came back to the house, they walked into their room and they started screaming. Like something happened. What happened, guys? Where's our stuff? You don't sleep there anymore. You got your sister's room now. All go downstairs. And that's what you got to do. You have to, you have to stick to your guy. I love them to death. But. I look back on these stories. Hey, it's uh, the funniest thing. That is funny. Well, number one, how old are your children now, your twins? My twins are 27. My daughter's Okay, 27. so this was a while ago. And they, they're all, and uh, the, the your daughter is older or younger than them? 23. 23, she's, uh, so she's a little younger. younger. And so uh, they're all in a good place now, all three of your children? Well, I actually have four of them. Yeah, they're four. all in good places. The fourth one goes into what you were talking about, adoption. I adopted her from Russia. And uh, I could see the problems, all huh. the cracks, the walls. And, uh, and you know, the funny thing about that is it cost me $50,000. Huh. I had to go back there twice. They screwed everything up. And then in the end, uh, you know, she has uh, some problems. And then it they came out about two years ago that adoptions from Russia, especially Russia, are very bad because uh, for some reason, you know, a lot of alcohol. Yeah, no, there. no, no. The fetal alcohol syndrome is a big problem. Al, I got to run. Uh, best of luck. And I appreciate that story. And so I, I think he clearly disagrees with the Scott Adams approach of there's nothing that can be done about this. Scott Adams wants to send all the young, angry young men off to an island somewhere. It sounds like Al uh, kind of 
utilizes more of a tough love approach, the very kind that Scott Adams mocked in that podcast. Where do you come down on this? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Now, uh, we're going to continue in a moment. You know, it's funny that his, his boys are Nick and Alex. My brothers are Nick and Alex. That's very funny. All right, 800-848-9222. We'll continue straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Madonna just turned 64 years old singing uh, Hung Up. I love this song. I think it originally came out as part of uh, an Austin Powers film. Um, I, I, could, I could be incorrect about that. But um, she, uh, I always like the song. And if you notice the, the tune, it's the same as that ABBA song, Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. If you listen to this song and then you listen to that ABBA song, it's the same tune. It's like uh, almost the Vanilla Ice song and uh, Under Pressure. You know, um, same, there's a bunch of songs like that. But, um, oh, is this, is this Gimme Gimme? All right, so you'll see what I mean. Listen to this. And I, I, th- I don't think she did this without permission. I don't think she stole this. Um, she saw it, see? See, it's exactly the same. As the Madonna song. This is the song we just played. Yeah, okay, and I did see it. She personally sought permission from ABBA, and they gave it to her. So it's all kosher. It's all good. That's it. All right. 800-848-9222. If you're just tuning in, uh, there's a problem with young men in this country. They are violent. They're on drugs. they're They're drinking too much, and they're getting into traffic problems. Um, why do you think that's the case? Number one, what do you do about it? Number two, and if you're a, a parent of a young boy, what resources, books, activities would you recommend to help raise a child that's curious, active, and independent? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let me begin with uh, Joe in Ronkonkoma. Hello there, Joe. Hey, Frank. How you doing tonight? Great. Thanks. I hope you had a good weekend. Yeah, it was Getting to where we're talking about with kids, it's when do you see it's it's all about the kids, and that's where I'm gonna start with. You want to cure this angry problem with young men and women? I, I think with girls too. Uh, you gotta divide and conquer. You a child is like a business. You gotta watch them flourish. You gotta watch them and help them. You can't just be one of these parents like that guy letting the child just die, you do something about it. Um, me and my wife, we, we love our children like you love your son, Carmine. 
you you got to watch. You got to be on top of them. But you, then you back off. You let them spread their wings. But when you start seeing something like my daughter's in her second year of uh, high school, and we actually did a contract with her that she's got to maintain a certain grade point average, or she has consequences where she'll lose her phone. And as far as books, whatever my kids want to read, as long as it's age appropriate, of course, we let them read. And my son loves to read. He does the computer. He actually requested a game. It's called House a Flipper, and it's where they construct and they sell a home and they restore it. And me and my wife were like, well, this is a little bit expensive. And I turned to my wife and I said to her, hey, listen, this is going to be good. It's no shooting games. Let him play it. And the biggest thing, Frank, is with Carmine is you got to love him. You got to hug him. And and you got to be that parent that's there. Hey, uh, Joe, not- real quick, real real quick, because this is the 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 same question that the parent that the uh, the father was asking Lenore Scanese. That game that sounds like a perfect kind of a game to uh, the, that a young person should should play, where it teaches them something constructive. Uh, how do you and your wife handle? gaming right do you do they have to go through you guys for every game they want to play or because i guess you're purchasing them or how does that work well we i use a little bit of psychology frank i said to my son because he usually plays in his room on his xbox i said oh you know i'd like to play with you so we moved the console into the living room now so now we watch and see what he's playing and if we find that there's something inappropriate, me and my wife, instead of yelling at him, we use like, you know, Joe, maybe you should take this off. This mm. is not good. And a lot of these games that he wants to play now are more like towards trade and fixing things. That's, that's great. Be- that's great. So um, uh, give me the name of that game again, because that sounds like something that maybe a lot of folks would benefit from. Well, House, House Flipper? Flipper? House Flipper. Okay. One of these games you can buy. It's not like you can go to the store and buy it. It's an online download. And Frank, another great show, and uh, have a great day. Hey, thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Uh, by the way, I was talking about um, my brother Alex and my brother Nick, just like that fellow's twins, or Alex and Nick. Uh, got, a, got a message here from my friend Nick Barbaro. He said his first grandson is Alex Nicholas. Isn't that interesting? That What are the chances? All those combinations of Alex and Nick. Um Real quick, also in the Facebook group, Ben Crisp writes, and I, I'm I'm not surprised to hear this, and I wonder if there's something to this. The young, the violent young men epidemic can be solved by signing at-risk young men up for the military. That's interesting, but I don't know that it's accurate because we've seen a lot of these young men shooters have military experience, either being in the military itself, or if they're a little younger, many of them have been in ROTC. So I'm not sure I I recognize that the military can play an important role in straightening someone out, but I'm not sure it's a magic bullet. I'm not sure it's a panacea. So I don't know. What were you going to say? You're talking about Alex and Nick. Yeah. Alex and Nick were the names of Uncle Jesse's twins on Full House. That's right. But though one was uh, female, right? No, they were both. Oh, they were both uh, boys. Boys. Yeah. Oh, I th- for some reason I thought maybe Alex was uh, a woman, but uh, I I do remember that. That's funny. I, I uh, I've seen quite a few episodes of Full House back in the day. 
800-848-9222. Chris is in Mount Vernon. Hello, Chris. Hey, Frank. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think we have a spoiled uh, young man problem. They, they think a lot, a lot of these kids these days, they think the whole world owes them something. And if they don't, they're not giving everything, they just get all pissed off at the world. I mean, I got a buddy of mine. He's got two sons. They're in their 40s. They, they don't want to go to work. There's, there's spots open at our job where we work, and they don't want to come to work. They want everything, but they still want everything given to them. They want they want they have their nice $200 sneakers. They're beautiful. They, they want to wear brand new clothes every day, but they don't want to go to work. I mean, they're pissed off all the time. I could do what? Oh, I don't I don't want to do that. I can make more money doing this on the street or doing. It, it's it's horrible. I tell you, what could what could be done about it? I don't know. You know what? Maybe he wasn't really there when they were little. Maybe you got to be around. I don't know. Maybe so, it's a, maybe it's a single parent problem. I, don't, I have no idea. So, Chris, it's interesting what you say that it all comes down to being a spoiled young man problem. When did that start, and why did that start? I, I, I wish I knew. I, mm. I, it's, it's, it's not. It's not. A, it's not a, a new thing. I know that. I, I've seen it all the time. I've seen it a lot of times. You see. You see. Guy. I, I have another buddy of mine. His, his his cousin calls him up. Oh, I have to borrow twenty dollars. Okay, he needs him to, for, with, with the twenty dollars. He's wearing two hundred fifty dollars sneakers. He's wearing a, a eighty dollars hoodie sweatshirt. But you don't have twenty dollars. Why? How, how does that? How does that compute? To me, if you don't have money, you can't afford these things. So, so every, if everything's given to you, and and then you're used to everything being given to you, you're not going to want to go out there and work for things. And it just, and then when when things are not given to you, I think you get they, these people get pissed off at the world. The, the world hates me. Oh, I can't because they want fast everything fast, fast, fast. They got to learn how to. You know, things take time. You have to work slowly. Rome wasn't built in a day type of thing. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, that's, thank, that's what my father always told me Thank anyway. you, Chris. 800-848-9222. Russ is in White Plains. Hello, Russ. Hey, Frank. I think it's a spoiled parent problem. What we don't learn in school is how to be parents. There's no parenting going on. And it started with baby boomers. Me, me, me. Kids are a prop. Hey, I want these kids to reflect well on me. And and it's worth putting them in the, in the military. Angry young men. That's why they go in the military, to co- kill people in other people's country. What we need to do is have young men who are bordering on incels all dating women and being around birth control so that doesn't happen. But could I talk about the car driving? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so video games promotes bad driving. I mean, I've seen it. And, and, and insurance encourages people because they think, oh, I can crash without consequence. That's what the insurance is for. And, and what to do? I think you can set up, you know, all these cars have computer chips that monitor lane changes and position, speed, acceleration, tailgating. You can put up speed cameras, stoplight cameras in one-mile intervals where people wouldn't know, so there wouldn't be constant surveillance, and you could catch these worst offenders, and there would be no dangerous police stops, and, and police wouldn't have to kill citizens. I think that's the way to go. But, you know, the people in government are just so dumb, they don't protect us. We're, we're at the mercy. That's all. Thanks a lot, Frank. Jay in Cincinnati. Hello, Jay. Excellent topic, Frank. Uh, the insurance companies tell it like it is. You know, it's uh, the young men and our society. We, we breed them. American society breed angry young men. You know, we tell them you can go as fast as you want, fast cars, testosterone, combination of alcohol, and uh, women have killed many young men. Yeah. Uh, so what do we do about it? What's the solution? 
you have to educate them. You have to really be involved, you know, to, to get these kids to develop their social skills because, you know, they, they want everything now, 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 today. You know, I want, I want the $200 sneakers. Hell with it. I, you know, I was happy with my, my $20 uh, chuck, chucks. Right. So, I mean, it sounds like you're raising a similar generational complaint as the one that Chris did. So I'll ask you the same question. When did that start and why did that start? You you can say it was the baby boomers, but, you know, we have so many angry old men that are terrible role models. Okay, I, I live on a street where these old guys are racing up and down in their challengers and their chargers and everything. They're the worst role models for the young young generations today. Uh, All right. Well, thank thank you, Jay. Good thing they discontinued or Dodge is discontinuing both the Challenger and the Charger. Meantime, in terms of my weekend, so on Saturday, I, uh, you know, my wife made an appointment for both of us to give blood, right? And the last time that we tried to do this, my wife's iron levels were too low for her to donate. So she said, oh, hopefully I'll be able to donate this time. Okay, I give blood all the time. And um, we get to the blood center, and we we took Carmine with us, young Carmine William Morano, just shy of his nine-month birthday. And uh, we're taking turns looking after him as we begin the process of uh, getting examined, filling out the questionnaire. They test your iron levels, they take your temperature, they take your blood pressure, make sure you're in a good position to donate. So I donate first, goes well. Uh, I get my uh, cup of tea, I think some chips, and a little cranberry juice, and I. And then my wife goes. And then it's up to me to entertain Carmine, and uh, we're walking around and, you know, exploring. She goes, and then she gets up. She grabs a bag of chips. Doesn't he really eat much of it? She grabs a bag of chips, I think some juice. We go to the jewelry store. The jewelry store happens to be next door that she had left her bracelet at, and this is her cousin's jewelry store. So we pop in, see him. All's good. Now, we had plans that afternoon to go to our friends for a barbecue. So Rachel doesn't really, she's hungry, but she doesn't really eat lunch. Because we're going to our friends and they've prepared this massive feast with all sorts of foods that they know we like. So, meantime, my Aunt Camille has prepared a fresh batch of egg salad. So, Rachel says, all right, let's go home. You take Carmine, walk to Aunt Camille's, get the egg salad. I'm going to run out, get my nails done. And then uh, I'll meet you back home, and we'll go to our friends. Sounds like a plan. Okay. Now, you remember, on Saturdays, I do a digital detox after Smirconish. No phone, no radio, no television, no films, and nothing. And Rachel said to me, because of her experience the previous Saturday, do me a favor, keep your phone on so that I can reach you. So I keep my phone on, but I put it on do not disturb, except when Rachel calls. So I'm at my Aunt Camille's, having a good time, and my phone's on, do not disturb. And it's been a while without hearing from Rachel. So I said, let me turn it off, do not disturb. Maybe she's not able to get through. 
and I see I have a missed call from Rachel from four minutes ago. So I call her right back. And in the meantime, I have, I'm getting a call from my Uncle Steve. I, I didn't answer because I'm busy with my Aunt Camille, and I try to pay attention to the people that are in front of me. That's the whole point of these do not disturb functions. So I call Rachel right back. It goes to voicemail. Okay. Maybe she's busy. She can't answer the phone because she's drying her nails or something. Okay. Whatever. Um, my Uncle Steve calls again and again. Because now my phone's no longer in do not disturb mode. I took it out of there because I wanted to be able to answer Rachel. So I finally answer the phone because I feel maybe something's going on here. Meantime, Rachel finally calls me back. Rachel calls me back and informs me that, remember how hot it was on Saturday. She informs me that she passed out at the nail salon. So evidently, she was getting her nails done. And they were about to dry. They were drying. And who walks into the nail salon? My Uncle Steve, who's my godfather, who we were just with the night before. He went in there with his new girlfriend to get his and her pedicures or something, something like that. Or manicures. I don't know which one. Uh, I don't know what their story is. So the, so my Uncle Steve is making conversation with Rachel, and he sees that she's starting to go a little woozy. And uh, he says to her, are you okay? And she says, essentially, no. And she knows what's coming because she's passed out before. This happened to her in college when she gave blood and happened to her one other time. And so um, basically uh, she passes out while she's sitting down, but she's pa- she passes out, loses consciousness while her nails are drying. And my uncle, I mean, what are the chances that he would happen to be in that same nail salon at the same time, my uncle catches her head as she passes out so that she doesn't hit her head. He's screaming to call 911. He's putting a cold uh, rag on her neck uh, and kind of, you know, uh, trying to get her back into consciousness. So she's unconscious for about two minutes. The people at the nail salon, they get some cold rags and they uh, put her on. Uh, the paramedic comes. They, they insist on having an ambulance come. And other patrons are communicating with the ambulance. Do you have a heart condition? No. Do you you have this? Do you have that? No, no. And Rachel's telling people, I just gave blood. She's still got the bandage from having given blood. I haven't eaten. And I'm probably a little overheated because of the heat. So the ambulance, uh, the paramedics come. They uh, examine her, and and she was all fine. And then... um, I uh, and she insisted that, uh, you know, that she she was only four minutes from her house, but she insisted that she was well enough to drive home. She had some orange juice and uh, nail polish and uh, they put nail polish like smelling salts underneath her to make sure she was uh, revived or whatever. But thankfully, she was okay. But that was Saturday's adventure. And then um, she really liked that nail place, but she was so embarrassed, even though obviously she has nothing to be embarrassed about. She was so embarrassed that she said she's never going to that nail salon <laughs> again. So she's going back to her old nail salon. That was her first time there, and she said she's never going there again because of how embarrassed she was. But she was woozy. Um, well, not woozy. She was a little not feeling great the whole day, the whole day. So she took a nap. She had hoped that would uh, revive her, and then um, and that, that wasn't the case. So uh, she was felt, felt crummy all day Saturday, and then she woke up Sunday. She felt fine. But uh, needless to say, she did not go to our friend's barbecue, 
and I didn't go. Um, I didn't go either until the evening, around uh, seven o'clock or so. My mom came over. I didn't want to leave Rachel alone, um, you know, especially with the baby. And so my mom came over, and then after we put Carmine to bed, I uh, I left to go to our friends. But uh, that was Saturday's adventure. And I told Rachel, you know, you always have a problem giving blood. You know, the uh, the iron last time, passing out this time. Maybe this is not for you. I can give enough blood for both of us. And she is type O, and I'm type A. So that's a much more valuable blood type because of so many more people who are able to get type O. So she said she's going to try it one more time. She's just not going to be foolish and not eat. So that was kind of where that was kind of where we were on Saturday. So thankfully everything's good uh, and okay. And she was she's fine now. But it was uh, quite scary getting the call that uh, that your wife passed out at a, a nail salon. So that was uh, what we contended with over the weekend. All right. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. That is Rihanna singing What's My Name, a uh, hit song, certainly. Uh, if you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing, just to join our Facebook group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. It's also meant to be a forum for discussion about uh, what we do on this show. That's uh, M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. Two quick things on the... Um, Russia front and Ukraine. So I'm reading the, um, I still get the paper version of the newspaper. So I'm reading Saturday's edition of the New York Post. And there's the American flag on the cover. Okay. And there's on one corner, the American flag on the other corner. What's there? The Ukrainian flag. Now I feel bad for what's happening in Ukraine but, and I hate to say it this way, isn't it enough with the Ukrainian flags already? Isn't it enough? And the, the reason it irked me was because, do you know what Saturday was? Saturday was the 75th anniversary of the independence of India. If you have to include another country's flag on the cover of your newspaper... Don't you think that the country that you'd be showcasing on that particular day was India? India is the largest democracy in the world. Now, India has got some problems, not exactly a model of Jeffersonian democracy, but neither is the United States. And I would have India is poised to be the biggest country in the world sometimes next year, sometime next year. And with everything that's happening in India right now, why not showcase that country? Why stick with this Ukrainian flag? And I I recognize there's a lot of people being hurt and killed and displaced in Ukraine. The same is true in Yemen. The same is true in a lot of other countries right now. And uh, it just strikes me as, um, I don't know, I want to say on the one hand it's virtue signaling. 
On the other hand, especially when you see we just gave, I think it's propaganda. We just gave $775 million of weapons to the Ukrainians last week, including drones and everything. Uh, They did the report, CBS News did the report before they took back that only 30% of the money that we're sending to Ukraine is actually getting to where it's supposed to be. Where's the other 70%? Maybe if the New York Post was a little more interested in investigative reporting about where all the charitable contributions that are intended for Ukrainians are going and where all the money that we're sending to to the Ukrainians is going, maybe if they would delve into that a bit more instead of literally flag-waving by posting the Ukrainian flag on their cover, maybe we would be in a different position. So I thought that was interesting. And then when I read the Sunday New York Post, no Ukrainian flag. And I thought that's interesting. Why would they have it on Saturday but not on Sunday when Sunday has such a wider readership? If that's going to be something that they do, why would they do that? Now, a lot of you have heard of the case of Brittany Griner, the female basketball player that is uh, that was charged and convicted, sentenced to nine years in prison on a drug charge. Well, now it looks like one of the world's foremost foreign policy analysts and one of America's best diplomats, a man who is not officially an ambassador, but probably should be, a man who has done more to heal the rifts that exist in international relationships than anybody other than, I don't know, Jimmy Carter, is on the case. That's right. NBA legend Dennis Rodman said yesterday, on Saturday that he got permission to go to Russia to seek the release of WNBA star Brittany Griner, the Basketball Hall of Famer who was at a sneaker convention in Washington, D.C. over the weekend, told NBC News he was looking to head over to Moscow at some point this week. Quote, I got permission to go to Russia to help that girl. I'm trying to go this week. Uh, He told the outlet, adding he knew Russian President Vladimir Putin too well. Now, you remember Rodman was the one that went to North Korea and got into the, as Curtis likes to call it, the rice cake curtain. And you saw what that meant for the future of American-North Korean relations. Maybe Dennis Rodman is the man for the job. Although, (laughs) you know, at times Dennis Rodman seems a few aces short of a full deck. I love the quote here where he says... I got permission to go to Russia to help that girl. Can't you see him going to Russia and he gets this meeting with Vladimir Putin and he says, all right, what do you want, Dennis? And he just tells Putin, well, I came for that girl. And he says, which one? Can't you see Rodman not remembering her name? I can. Because why else would he call her that girl when he's talking to the press? Wouldn't you think he'd say Brittany? Or Miss Griner. So, who knows? Maybe Dennis Rodman will come back with Brittany Griner. Or maybe they'll give him some other random girl. Because he says, I'm here for that girl. Hey, here, take that one. You know. Dennis Rodman is on the case. So is the New York Post. Thank goodness. All right, until next hour, uh, in the words of the great Barry Farber, 
Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everybody, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for listening. Well, it's that time. A lot of you really look forward to this particular portion of the program each and every Monday morning. We take the time to give a little recognition to people, places, entities that have done something positive. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Wake the kids. Call the neighbors. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. We must begin uh, with a point of personal privilege. I want to give a commendation to my cousin Jessica in Delicato. Now, Jessica is my first cousin once removed. She is the daughter of my cousin Natalie, who is my oldest first cousin, and that makes Jessica the Oldest first cousin once removed that I have. She is now officially a registered nurse. She passed her nursing examination, and she is a registered nurse. So congratulations to her. I know she worked very hard in order to uh, become a nurse, and I know uh, being a nurse is not an easy thing. So uh, congratulations to you, Jessica. The whole family is incredibly proud of you. Speaking of people that we're proud of, I want to give a commendation to James Gallishaw, 49-year-old Queens attorney, attacked on the street outside of his law office. And you know what he did? He beat up his attacker. He was attacked on uh, Cross Bay Boulevard in Ozone Park, and he left his assailant... They refer to it as an alleged assailant. I would hate to think that this is something that we learned didn't happen. I don't think it is. The guy strikes me as a pretty sh- uh, as pr- a pretty straight shooter, at least as far as lawyers go. So he left his assailant battered and bloody following the fight, and he uh, showed the, some of these photos on Facebook in which he shows this failed thug with streams of blood running down his face. Other photos show blood spattered uh, splattered on the steps outside and a broken glass door with a potted plant through it. Galashaw writes on Facebook, I am okay, was attacked by a random off the street today. He made a bad effing decision and attacked me. You know, I feel the same way about James Galashaw that I feel about... Um, Someone like uh, Bernard Getz, which is maybe, just maybe, if someone thinks that they're going to get hurt, maybe they'll think twice before attacking or picking on or trying to rob an innocent person. Let this beating that James Galashaw gave this thug be a warning to everybody Who's thinking of robbing somebody or assaulting them? Good for you, James Gallishaw. I'm glad you uh, beat up your attacker. 
I have to give a commendation to my friend, civil court judge, soon-to-be state Supreme Court justice, Brendan Lantry. Now, he's endorsed this year by, he's running for state Supreme Court, and if he's elected, which he will be because he's endorsed by both the Democrats and the Republicans, he will be the youngest state Supreme Court justice, one of the youngest in history, uh, So at least from New York City. So, But that has nothing to do with his commendation. Brendan Lantry mentions on Saturday to me that he has this incredible recipe for Manchego scrambled eggs because everybody was still talking about the scrambled egg discussion that we had on Friday morning. And so I said, well, he offers to come over and make them. I said, really? So I text him Saturday morning or Sunday morning to make sure that this was a genuine offer. I said, it's fine if you can't, but I'll make other arrangements for breakfast. Lo and behold, Judge Lantry comes over, brought his wife as well, with two dozen eggs, because there was a bunch of people over for breakfast yesterday. Two dozen eggs, his own uh, pan, all sorts of manchego cheese, all sorts of cooking accoutrement, a special egg scrambler, And I said to him after this, I tried these eggs. They were out of this world. They were five-star. Restaurant quality. Better than restaurant quality. Oh, he brings his own salt and pepper, which was kind of insulting. I said, didn't you think we had salt and pepper? Yeah, I never know with you. Uh, Brings his own cooking accoutrement. I said to him afterwards, you know, with all the hype about these eggs, I would love to say they didn't taste that good. I can't say that. They were out of this world. Out of this world. So my thanks to Judge Lantry for those Manchego scrambled eggs. I also want to commend the staff at Montpelier. That's the James Madison home that's a museum. And they have restored the educational aspects of of Montpelier that include James Madison. There was this whole series of articles in which people were complaining that instead of learning about James Madison and the Constitution or what James Madison did during the War of 1812, it basically became a whole lesson about slavery. Well, now um, they have done a little bit of an educational makeover Uh, As far as the content at Montpelier does, they have a freshly expanded month long Constitution Day celebration to mark the September 17th anniversary of the document's adoption. They have uh, all sorts of other things that they've added. And I think that is a certainly a positive thing. So good for you at Montpelier. Want to also commend Donna Carnow from right here in Brooklyn, well, from Brooklyn. She is, I'm very proud of this, the National Pole Art Champion. 28 years old, Donna Carnell took the top prize as, in terms of national pole art, which is basically pole dancing. She's an artist and a dance instructor, and she earned the gold medal, a trophy, and a $1,000 prize. She is the greatest pole dancer in the country, the number one pole dancer in the country. Uh, Pole dancing is very difficult, 
And it's also a great way to stay in shape. It's not always about being, uh, you know, sexually alluring or something like that. It is. Uh, there's a real craft to this. And uh, this contest was sponsored by the Pole Sport Organization. Carnell bested 11 other finalists who came from an original pool of hundreds of competitors at regional events throughout the country. Her winning routine featured an expressive, uh, basically her as a marionette, breaking free of her strings while performing a dizzying array of complicated pole maneuvers. Video of the event shows that she was frequently interrupted by audience applause. This is a real artist and an incredibly talented dancer. So congratulations to you, Donna Carnell. Uh, I want to give a commendation to Joe Quatrone. Joe Quatrone has been the barber for Congress for 51 years. And at the end of this month, he is retiring. So uh, he is 88 years old, and he's been a presence on the House side of the Capitol for more than a half century. But next Friday, he will hang up his shears for good. He's retiring and moving to North Carolina to be near his family. Apparently, his health has declined in uh, recent years. And also, his wife, Rita, uh, his wife of 65 years, passed away last year. His, her picture still sits on the counter next to his chair. So he's been through a lot last couple of years, and it sounds like he's kind of ready to hang him up. But 50 years in any job is remarkably impressive. But 51 years or cutting the hair of members of Congress is extraordinary. He, he, the guy used to cut Gerald Ford's hair. That's great. Great. So congratulations, Joe Quatrone. I do commend you. I must also commend Hobby's Deli in Newark, New Jersey. That's right. Hobby's Deli in downtown Newark made the mouthwatering list of the 20 best Jewish delis in the U.S. produced by the popular food website tastingtable.com. Now, I don't think they ranked the 20. I went and looked at the list, and it looked like the one that was listed first was Katz's Deli. But I don't think it was a a situation where they say, oh, this is number one, this is number two, this is number three. I think they just said these are the 20 best. And um, Hobby's Deli in downtown Newark made the list. I have not been to Hobby's Deli. I love a good Jewish deli, and there are fewer and fewer of them now. They used to be ubiquitous. Now it's tougher to find them. But this shop in Newark is known for its pastrami, its chopped liver, its potato latkes, its matzo ball soup. It has been family run for 60 years. Now owned by brothers Mark and Michael Brummer, whose father Sam bought it in 1962. Uh, I love this. I love any family business. I love anything, any piece of old school Americana And this certainly fits the bill. I'm thrilled that they made this list. And I hope that this means they'll be in business for, uh, you know, another 50 years and uh, doing doing well. So uh, I hope uh, that's a great advertisement for them. I want to commend the state of Indiana. Indiana is the most generous tipping state in the country. When dining out, on average, an Indiana restaurant goer tips 
How much? 21%. Average. Average of 21%. That means a lot of them are tipping more than that. So uh, congratulations to any server in the state of Indiana. You're in good shape. All right. I want to commend the Tanzania Telecommunications Corporation. Tanzania, this is the state-owned, you know, broadband network in Tanzania. Tanzania has installed high-speed Internet services on the slopes of Kilimanjaro. So that means anyone who climbs Kilimanjaro, makes it to the top, you can now, right then and there, go on to Twitter and go on to Facebook or whatever social media app you have, uh, Instagram, and tweet the fact, hey, just climbed Kilimanjaro. I think that's so cool. And as a, on a more important level, I guess, it certainly helps with all these communication apps being... Internet-based, things like WhatsApp, for instance, and a bunch of others, to, God forbid, there's an emergency while someone is hiking or climbing Kilimanjaro, it helps to have some Internet as being another way to get in touch with people. You don't want to end up like um, that guy in 127 hours, right? Uh, And then finally, I want to commend certain digital devices, If you're struggling to remember something new research suggests, just reach for your mobile phone. Well, we've talked about this before. While some experts believe too much technology can lead to digital dementia, scientists in Britain found, listen to this, phones may actually improve our memories. Dr. Sam Gilbert an associate professor of cognitive neuroscience at the University of Co- University College London, led a team of researchers to discover how much our digital devices affect our brains. We were interested in the way that people used devices like smartphones as an extension of their memory, he said. So using a computer program, scientists gave 158 volunteers a memory task to do 16 times. For half of them, they had to rely on their own memory, and for the rest... They could set reminders on a digital device. And apparently when people have access to a digital memory, they offload the most important information into that digital memory. But this in turn frees up space that we can use to remember additional items. Um, I think this is very encouraging. You know, you hear so much bad news about digital toxicity. Nice to see that it could be used for good things as well. All right, that is this week's commendation list. If you would like to react to anybody that I have commended, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, criticism, now's the time. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Girl, I know you very well. 
To the era of Saturday Night Fever, <clears throat> one of the great Brooklyn films of all time. Uh, Tavares singing More Than a Woman. Uh, I enjoy their version of this song quite a bit. I do. Uh, all right. Hey, you know what story caught my eye? And uh, speaking of medical professions, I, I mentioned the uh, my cousin Jessica becoming a nurse just a few minutes ago. I find this really, the story I'm about to share with you, really concerning, but not at all surprising. Fascinating, fascinating new report found that the healthcare industry has been very slow to address its mental health crisis among doctors and nurses, and it often treats mental health as secondary to physical health. There's an article in The Hill by Shirin Ali. Uh, I'm going to link to it on my Facebook page, and you can read it if you like. Uh, Suffering from burnout, doctors are working drunk or high on the job. Now, this is quite serious. Um, this, According to this report by All Points North, that's the name of the entity that did the report, They found a growing number of physicians are turning to alcohol and drugs while working. Over the last three months, one in seven physicians admitted to consuming alcohol or controlled substances at work. At work. At the same time, one in five healthcare workers said they chose to check into rehab or a detox facility in the last three months. See, this is such a dangerous combination because if you're a doctor, and I believe this applies to nurses as well, they have you working all sorts of crazy hours. Again, I'm not a doctor. I don't know much about medicine. But I think the model that doctors use in terms of working these crazy hours of 20 20 hours straight or however many hours straight they work, it's based on something years ago of a fella that was doing cocaine at the time that he came up with these crazy hours. but So you have crazy hours that you're working, the need to stay awake constantly, an enormous amount of stress, not only because of the work that you're doing, but the emotional toll that that takes on you, dealing with people that are injured or sick or dying or di- or dead. That's got to... I mean, doctors and nurses are human, too. It's got to take a toll. And then what I think is most concerning is that you have these people who have access to these drugs. Maybe not cocaine, but certainly things like um, prescription opiates. I mean, that is a really dangerous combination. Now, doctors have been on the front lines of this coronavirus pandemic for more than two years. 
And according to this report, this pressure has taken its toll. Uh, The U.S. has been experiencing a growing mental health crisis, and the Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, warned last year that anxiety and depression rose for everybody during the pandemic, and and they were already climbing before the pandemic. Uh, This applies not just to doctors and nurses, but everybody. Around a million and a half U.S. children experienced depression or anxiety during the first year of the pandemic. That is a huge jump. And now we're seeing this crisis play out in the healthcare industry. Forty percent of healthcare workers indicating they felt anxiety or dread about going to work. Curious if you have a take on this or if you've observed this, particularly if you work in the healthcare industry. I know we have a lot of doctors that listen to the show, and I hear from them a lot via email and via text. I don't want to out anybody, but if you want to comment on this and tell me if you've observed an increase in this kind of thing, 800-848-9222. Nearly half, 49%, also said they are either at their breaking point or looking for a new job due to the stress and trauma they endured while working in healthcare. Isn't that a shame? That we rely on these folks and because of the stress and trauma that they're experiencing, they're being driven out of medicine. I'm also curious if you have a solution to this problem. I mean, I'm sure some people will suggest greater testing for drugs and alcohol to make sure doctors are not getting drunk and high on the job. But, I mean, there's got to be something that can be done so that doctors and nurses don't feel the need to turn to drug and alcohol, drugs and alcohol while working in the first place. So this is all from this report produced by All Points North, which is a mental health company that interviewed 1,000 U.S. healthcare workers aged 22 and older. And uh, apparently the results show that this is an industry that's been slow to respond to the growing demand for behavioral health services, and often treating mental health as secondary. Even more alarming, over the last three months, one in seven doctors admitted to using drugs or alcohol at work. And more than one in five said they consumed alcohol or controlled substances multiple times per day. And that's frightening. Wow. Uh, There are, a lot of times, serious barriers to seeking help. Now, I mentioned that one in five healthcare workers said they had checked into rehab or a detox facility in the last three months. But one in three healthcare workers indicated that they're too overworked and don't have time. 23% are concerned colleagues and families will judge them. Another 23% said they're afraid of getting their medical license revoked. See... I remember having a conversation with Bill Bratton, former police commissioner in New York, L.A., Boston, and he said we were talking about the problem with police suicides. And what Bratton said to me was a lot of police are reluctant to come forward and get help for whatever mental problems are ailing them because in the case of a police officer uh, who may really enjoy his job – If you're feeling suicidal or dealing with depression, what's the first thing the department does? They take away your gun. So 
the challenge for doctors is sort of similar. Um, they don't want to lose their medical license. So a lot that leads to the horrible situation where they don't seek help, either for their underlying cause of depression or anxiety or stress or for their drug or alcohol addiction. Men, not surprisingly, were also found to be struggling with the mental health stigma more than women, with 58% of male health care workers reporting that they are at their breaking point or looking for a new job due to stress, burnout, and trauma. Do you work in health care? Have you observed an uptick in stress, burnout, and trauma among doctors and nurses? Have you observed? an uptick in people taking drugs and drinking alcohol while working. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. By the way, I want to make clear, I am no teetotaler, right? Um, I think once you when you're drinking at work, that is pretty serious. If you're drinking at work while you're a doctor, that is disastrous. Disastrous. I wor- used to work with a guy, I'm not going to say his name, but he was a heavy drinker. And we would go out and uh, and drink alcohol after our shifts were over and stuff. And he was telling me, he was a bit older than me, uh, and he was telling me how he worked at a radio station, a small radio station, when he was, you know, coming up in the business. And a guy that was sort of an over-the-hill news anchor who had a pretty good career at uh, big radio stations was in the twilight of his years. And he ended up at this obscure, not obscure, but smaller mid-market radio station. And it was great for my buddy in that he got to meet this guy who he grew up listening to. And he learned a lot from this guy. And he said, what this guy would do is secretly stash vodka in the, top tank of the toilet to keep it cold. You know, like where the water is, where the water comes from. He would secretly store vodka in there. And my friend said to me, if we're still working together and I ever get to the point, because my friend knew he he was a drinker. He said, if I ever get to the point where I'm secretly storing vodka in the toilet, that's it. You gotta, you gotta tell the bosses and, and you gotta have an intervention or something because that's the point of no return. And uh, I really do think when you're drinking at work, I'm not talking about a glass of champagne when it's someone's birthday or something like that. But when you're drinking at work, that is incredibly problematic, incredibly problematic. I knew uh, someone I know who their son was a doctor, heart surgeon, had a drug problem um, and uh, I think an alcohol problem. He did. This is going back a few years now. I don't want to say who this is. It was well-documented at the time. He did a heart surgery drunk, drunk, and not surprisingly, he botched this heart surgery. So, I mean, when you're a doctor and you're dealing with doing drugs and uh, drinking alcohol while working, I mean, forget about it. You have other people's lives that you're screwing with. And it's just such a sad situation to me that we're seeing this play out so often, seemingly. 800-848-9222. Seven open lines if you want to comment. 800-848-9222. Christine is in the East Village. Hello, Christine. 
Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, congratulations to your cousin Jessica. Thank you. I have been an RN since 1975, and I went into psychiatry, and I've worked in most psychiatric hospitals, including seven years at the Payne Whitney Clinic. In 1975, things radically changed because uh, two weeks after I graduated, the nurses in my graduating class were told they had to go out of state to get a job. Why was that? Was there just too many nurses in where they, they were? were? Closing major city hospitals, oh, and 700 plus nurses were being laid off. So I started off briefly in in the psychiatric hospital of Bellevue. Then I worked for 12 years at Beth Israel Medical Center where I experienced a nightmare. I'd been warned not to take a job there, but I, I had no choice at the time because of what I just told you. But I watched what happened, and particularly in psychiatry. Under the Bloomberg administration, most of these hospitals were shut gone. St. Vincent's, which had a huge psychiatric inpatient and outpatient facility, was bulldozed. And where it used to be, this is a 125-year-old Catholic medical center, where it used to be now are high-rise expensive condos. They closed Mother Cabrini. They closed sure. all, all up and down. They bulldozed the Payne Whitney Clinic at the New York Hospital, bulldozed it. Which was probably the best hospital, a psychiatric hospital in New York. Uh, there were hospitals like Mount Sinai and Beth Israel that merged. So, Christine, what do you think about what we're talking about? The uptick in doctors and nurses using drugs and alcohol while working? I've seen this, not while working, but what I've seen was after uh, all these hospitals closed, I went into high tech home care during the AIDS ravages. And I saw that most or many of the nurses that worked there were addicts, and they would show up stoned or they wouldn't show up. The the people who ran the uh, agency where I worked, one of them was a hardcore addict, and it was scary because a couple of times they tried to flop this off on me, but they failed because the people that I worked for, the families of my patients, knew me. So I wasn't even touched by that, but it was all over the place. And most of these people, unlike myself, had worked in critical care areas, emergency rooms, where they have easy access to controlled medications, to narcotics. Mm. Mm. And that's high stress, so there's a reputation that they would medicate themselves. But what's going on now, from the way you described it, it sounds much, much worse. But overall, I have seen abuse of nurses, the closure of nursing schools all over the place. I was the second to last graduating class for a city hospital school of nursing that was um, in Queens, Queens General Hospital. And this was one of the Bellevue nursing schools. They were the best in, in the world. The old Bellevue nursing school, the instructors from there, they shut that down, too. Uh, most of this occurred in, during the Bloomberg administration. All right. Thank you, Christine. Appreciate it. And thanks for your service as well. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. I got an email here from uh, Dave who writes on the subject, Drunk Doctors. He said there's a shortage 
of doctors and nurses now, a massive amount of doctors and nurses were fired or quit when the vaccine mandates went into effect. You know, it's interesting. I'm wondering how big that number actually was of folks around the country that quit or were fired because of the vaccine mandate. I'm also um, I'm also curious if any of these folks got their job back, you know, during because I know that happened with a lot of other folks is they ended up getting their job back after the temperature got turned down with the mandates and everything. So um, that's an interesting point. And I hadn't a thought of that. Uh, I thought this was all attributable to stress and things of that nature. Um, 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, you can go to Facebook.com slash Morano fan as well. That's Facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O fan on Twitter as well at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. And uh, you can uh, email me if you like. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. That's Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. Hey, you know who's going to be on the show tomorrow? Alex Bennett. You know, it's funny. I ended up talking about Alex Bennett with Malachi McCord. I ended up talking about Alex Bennett with Richard Bay. I figured, you know, and I'd been trying to, I'd been in touch with Alex Bennett uh, quite a bit. And it's funny, uh, when I was talking with Governor Patterson recently off the air, he was a huge fan of Alex Bennett. And he remembered how years ago when I was helping produce one of Governor Patterson's radio shows that I had gotten um, Governor Patterson as a guest, I'd gotten him Alex Bennett. And so he asked me, you know, do I still have his number? So I got his number and sent it to Governor Patterson. He was really grateful. And he ended up um, telling me all sorts of fun Alex Bennett stories. And then I was talking to Jay Diamond recently, and Jay talked about being at Alex Bennett's birthday at WMCA. They had a party for him at WMCA something like 35 years ago. So Sometimes you feel like the universe is uh, pushing you in a certain direction. I felt like the universe was pushing me towards having Alex Bennett as a guest. So I'm looking forward to uh, that conversation tomorrow. 800-848-9222. Now, Steve in Manhattan is on the line. Steve, you're actually an off-the-books surgeon, right? That's right, and right. I, I thought you were going to say I was going to be the guest tomorrow night. Yeah, but you know something? Before uh, we get to anything, four men in white tuxedos are going to come into that studio this morning and take the electronic tape recording of this show and bring it to the Talk Radio Hall of Fame. Um, a more interesting s- subject would be how do you know when a nurse likes you? That's, there's certain <laughs> things. No, it's true. There's certain things they will do. To make them, you know, you know, I mean, men are more direct, but men are also very shy. Uh, but you brought up just something about eggs because I'm an expert on this. I've been always eating out my whole life. I'm probably the youngest person ever to leave a tip in, at, a, at a diner. Um, if the eggs aren't that good in the place, provided they're not spoiled or anything, go right to the French toast. It's the same thing. It's eggs and bread. And sometimes it can be delicious. You put a little uh, maple syrup on it. There are some places I noticed they, they don't scramble the eggs. So it's like a fried egg. So you might as well go to the French toast again. And the most disgusting thing I've seen them do is they do put aside uh, egg whites because a lot of the people, a lot of the gavones out there like egg whites and turkey and stuff. They're like 400 pounds overweight. They'll <laughs> actually use the egg whites as scrambled eggs. I, through the years, I've caught that twice. 
you know, and it makes it easy if you, if you put cheese on it. I know you don't like American cheese. Now, the thing about the nurses and doctors, I mean, we know there are certain professions out there that you don't want to be dealing with the person if they're out of their mind on drugs or anything, and they cross that line when they put your safety and they jeopardize it. But I, I just believe it's just a reflection of society the way the way it is. And like you brought up those kids, crazy. There's crazy adults out there. Too. Oh no, well, no question about it. No question about it, especially these days. Yes, without question. But also, it, this thing has been ticking up since 1960s. Even in New York City now, we are not even anywhere close to the 1970s and the early 80s inside this city. You see it from the 1960s. The numbers are pure. They're right there. Over a million murders, a million rapes, a million robberies, assaults, and everything. We've become a violent country since that time. But the nurses and doctors, folks, they're just a reflection of society. You have to be able to identify people who are on drugs and stuff. And I've confronted either much younger guys than me, and I've told them, but do you think you should be doing this and where we are right now? And some of them, you'll notice, if they trust you, and a lot of them do trust me, they will listen to you. If they trust you, if you build a trust, if they don't trust you, they will. you, you have no chance with them. All right. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate that very much. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. song came to be it's fascinating absolutely fascinating. first of all it's just catchy i love this song um ricky lee jones and her lover and fellow songwriter spent a lot of time hanging out with their friend chuck e weiss chuck e weiss middle initial e at the uh tropicana motel in los angeles Eventually, Weiss affectionately referred to, you know, him as Chucky, disappeared. Later, Weiss called the apartment, Chucky Weiss called the apartment where Jones and her lover lived. When the boyfriend took the call, Chucky Weiss tells him, that he was now in Denver 
and that he moved there because he had fallen in love with his cousin. Follow me? So, the boyfriend hangs up. And he announces to Ricky Lee Jones, Chucky's in love. Jones loves the sound of that sentence and wrote a song about it. Although toward the end of Chucky's in Love, the lyrics state, Chucky's in love with the little girl singing this song. The twist ending of the song is not true. It's fictional. Jones was never the girl who Chucky was in love with. It was his cousin, which to me is even more interesting. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-9222. Friday. Interesting situation. You remember where we left on Friday? Um, Matt Meany, our program director, came in on Friday to observe and do things. And it was very nice that he was here because that meant we could have our post-show meeting right after the show. And um, and we did. And By the way, we got the ratings for July. Not only are we still number one in our time slot, but our audience from a year ago has grown by 46%. Not just the share, but the cume. There are 46 more people listening now than, than we're listening a year ago. So if you're part of that 46%, welcome aboard. We're happy to have you. But good meeting and everything. And that meant we could leave and do our thing right after the, the meeting. So that means I think we were free by 5.30 or so, maybe 5.45. Six at the very latest, but I think it was about 5.45. So now I had made plans with friends to meet them for breakfast at 9.30 in anticipation of a 7 o'clock meeting. I'm no longer doing this. I'm just going to, you know, um, leave my Fridays open. So I made plans with friends uptown, Upper East Side, 9.30. So what am I going to do between 5.45 and 9.30? Well, I have a friend who has a law office with a a great room. They call it the Sinatra room. And he lets me sleep on the couch in the Sinatra room. So I said, all right, I'll go to my friend Arthur's office, sleep on the couch there, get a couple of hours, and then I'll take a leisurely walk uptown. I love to walk. One of my favorite things to do in Manhattan is walk around, and especially if I'm not in a rush. Because everyone's so in a rush, it's nice to just be able to walk and take it in. So I am left with the question of what should I do with my car? Do I, A, park it in a parking garage near the radio station? Do I, B, drive it up to where I'm breakfasting at 930 so that I can just drive home from there? Or do I, C, uh, drive it to my friend's law office, park it over there, and then leave walk back to there later or subway back to there later and leave from there. I opt for option C. So I drive from the radio station to our law office. Not our law office, but the law office that I was sleeping at. I sleep a couple hours there. Restful sleep. It's delightful. And then I leave myself about 45 minutes to walk from um, 45th and 6th. I park my car over there and sleep And I walk from 45th and 6th to 72nd and 2nd. 
So it's, I mean, it's a hike, but maybe it's a half hour, 40, 40 minute walk. Not even. Have breakfast, have a great time, breakfast for about an hour. And then I could Uber back, take a taxi back. I could take the subway back. I choose to walk back, which I love to do. Um, and I think I might have even had a cigar that I, that I enjoyed while I was walking back. It was beautiful weather Friday. But there's a problem. As I'm approaching where my car is, I realize that I really need to use the restroom. I really need to urinate. And I'm looking around for a place that I can use the restroom. And then I see on one block, there's a sign for Starbucks. And I said, you know, I am too critical of Starbucks. I don't like the coffee. I don't like the whole Starbucks culture. But one of the things that they're very good with is they let people use the restroom there without buying anything. So I walk over there. I walk about a half a block on, uh, I think, 46th Street. See the Starbucks. I go there. I get there. It's closed. Closed. It's either a former Starbucks location or it's closed for renovation. Closed. I said, what the heck am I going to do now? And then I'm in Midtown. I'm walking around. Now I really need to urinate. Okay, it's it's distracting how, how pressing the need is for me to urinate. And I see there's a Barnes & Noble. Great. I know that Barnes & Noble. I've shopped there. Um, they'll have a, they have a coffee shop and they have restrooms. I go into the Barnes & Noble, trying to play it cool here, looking at some of the books, get greeted by the Barnes & Noble greeter, and I see a, a sign that says restroom upstairs. Great. Great. They're telling me right where it is. I take the escalator upstairs. Start walking to the restroom. All going according to plan. And then I get to the... I get to the men's room. And I see a sign on the men's room that says... Closed. But... I see... Walking right past the men's room that has now the closed sign is a woman. Where did she come from? I proceed to walk another 12 feet. There's a ladies' room. It's open. Ladies' room is open. So what do I do? So I'm thinking I really need to urinate here. And I'm thinking, okay, If there's anything that I've learned in the segments on gender that we've done on the radio, it's that gender is very fluid and that you could be whatever you want it to be. And at this point, I see a guy walking out of that restroom area, and I think he used the ladies' room. And I'm thinking, I'm going to identify as a female because most of these places, a lot of these places have gender-neutral restrooms that you could just use. This place did not. It had a men's room and a ladies' room. Go figure. And I said, I'm going to identify as a female and use the ladies' room. (laughs) So I'm walking towards the ladies' room, and I'm not feeling great about this in any way. But I really have to urinate here. So (laughs) I'm getting there, 
and I hear that there's someone in the ladies' room. I'm at the threshold, and I poke my head in the ladies' room. Because I figure if no one's in there, I'll just go in, do my business, and leave. But I hear that someone's in there, and I'm thinking, all right, this is not – I don't feel good about this. Someone's going to come out – a woman is going to come out of one of these stalls and – and be frightened and think I'm some creep. I don't feel great about this. And I leave the ladies' room without having done my business. And then as I'm leaving the ladies' room, which I clearly was at the threshold of, another woman is walking towards the ladies' room to go in there, and she sees me walking out of there. And she gives me a look that was a really solid mixture of disdain and curiosity. Like, was he in the ladies' room? Why was he in the ladies' room? I, I think he was in the ladies' room. And she's given me quite a lot. So I don't end up using the restroom in the ladies' room. Now, I am just really, really at a breaking point now. So I just go down the next random block that I could find. And I find a store. I think it was a, uh, I don't remember. There's a coffee shop or something, a non-chain and it, it, restroom for customers only. I bought something. I bought a drink or something. And then uh, as I'm still trying to play it cool, even though I'm anything but cool at this point, and I'm still trying to play it cool. And I, oh, by the way, can I use the uh, restroom? Yep. She gives me the code. I go in there. What a relief that was. And then I go back to my car. Now, keep in mind, I had moved my car there at 6.15 in the morning. The parking garage near our radio station, you park there at 6.15 in the morning, you get the early bird special. And with tax and everything, $31. You can just keep it there for 10 hours if you get it there before 8 a.m. Most of the parking garages in Midtown have a similar kind of early bird special. Well, you know how much this place was? No early bird special. $57 to park over there. $57. So I absolutely should have just parked in my usual parking garage over here. Usually during the week I don't park because, you know, I work nights and you can just park on the street. But what a mistake that was, uh, the parking situation. And it was all it was a mishandled afternoon or morning in a, on a whole bunch of different, uh, different levels. All right. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. 92.22. Let me say hello to Mike in Lake George. Hello, Mike. Good morrow, Frank. I like that expression. Good morrow. Thank you. Yes, good morrow uh, to you. Thank you. Uh, I'll start off by saying um, I'm glad that we're Steve from Manhattan. Sometimes I wasn't sure if it was somebody calling from Steve from Manhattan, but good call. You know, if you don't like the eggs, you got to go to the French toast or whatever. Right. Uh, you know, Frank, you brought up something funny I read in the paper the other day. Good for that lawyer who got uh, uh, accosted outside of his office, and he said the right thing. I would have said it. You know, hey, you're, you're, you're messing and you're effing around with the wrong guy. You know, and what came to mind, which you mentioned, when I read that article was Bernie Getz, you know. Uh, and it's crazy, you know, uh, what's going on in this world, especially in a, you know, a big city. And in New York, you always take your life in your own hands. It's true. Mike, i got to end it there. I appreciate the call, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, we'll continue with your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it.
This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. It's Monday morning. Thanks for starting your week with me. Uh, I'm about to say and make a suggestion, which I've made before, at least going back 10 years, that is not politically correct. If you're somebody that has a difficult time with politically incorrect commentary or suggestions, you're warned. You're warned now. You can tune out. I won't be offended. All right. Don't say I didn't warn you. Let me tell you this story and where this plays in to a suggestion that I've been making to no avail for the last 12 years. About 12 years. What year is it now? Yeah, about 12 years. Uh, This is a New York Post exclusive a uh, great reporter, Rich Calder, who does some great work at the New York Post, and he writes, I think, he's freelance. I think he writes for the Wall Street Journal occasionally as well. Headline, Rikers guard fired for sex with inmate, pressure to delay rape report. Okay. The Department of Correction quietly canned a Rikers Island guard, CO, correction officer, After an administrative law judge found he repeatedly had sex with a detainee, formerly called an inmate, provided her with drugs and pressured her to delaying filing a report that she'd been raped by another officer. The DOC commissioner, Louis Molina, filed papers in June saying he's accepted a recommendation made by a city administrative law judge that Leonard McNeil should be fired for fundamentally violating his duties as a correction officer. This is what the judge wrote in February. By engaging in an improper sexual relationship, respondent exploited the inmate, posed a security risk, created the appearance of corruption, and undermined authority. The judge is absolutely right. He wrote that following a four-day trial. Far less egregious acts of undue familiarity have routinely led to termination of employment. The charges against McNeil stem from a series of incidents that occurred at the jail complex at Rikers Island in 2015. Uh, The woman, we don't have her name, um, claimed in her lawsuit that um, she was raped in 2015 by correction officer Jose Cosma and by McNeil, the person that was just fired. Cosma copped a plea with prosecutors, and as part of his deal, he was fired, forced to register as a sex offender, and sentenced to 10 years of probation. That's the rapist correction officer. Um, McNeil, who's this person that we're just reading about being fired, has so far avoided prosecution. The woman testified... At the administrative hearing 
that she thought she was establishing a close personal relationship with McNeil. According to the report, they watched movies and football games together in the sanitation office. He brought her food from Kentucky Fried Chicken, and he let her use his cell phone to make calls. She also testified McNeil told her, listen to this, McNeil told her his wife used to be a correction officer, but she was fired for having sex with an inmate. Describing her relationship, this is the inmate at the, that's, that we're talking about here, describing her relationship with McNeil, which included having sex at Rikers in the sanitation office, a storage area, and a loading dock trailer, the woman, uh, you know, th- some of this is so graphic, I can't repeat on the radio, so I'm not going to. But needless to say, they, according to her testimony, which the judge found credible, they they really were hot and heavy, including they were doing stuff together while the guy was on the phone with his wife wishing her a happy birthday. You talk about a creep, although it sounds like maybe his wife did a similar kind of a situation. Um, during the trial, he denied having sex with the woman. The judge noted that he found her testimony much more credible than McNeil. Now, this is... Uh, part of what's what's serious about this is she confessed to her boyfriend, this guy, this this correction officer who she viewed as her boyfriend, that another correction officer had raped her. Okay, now that's a pretty big thing, obviously, for any woman, but especially a correction officer raping an inmate. So this guy that she was sleeping with apparently convinced her to delay reporting it for 10 days so that he would be on vacation at the time that she reported it. Now, you talk about a a first-class creep. I mean, wow. Okay. Now, where does the political incorrectness comes in? come in? This is yet another example of a correction officer who's male, sleeping with, having sex with, and in the the case of the other correction officer, raping an inmate who's female. We have seen repeatedly disastrous implications of correction officers of one gender guarding uh, inmates of another gender. It goes both ways. You remember the situation with Ronell Wilson, the cop killer at the MDC in Brooklyn. He was being guarded by a female guard and he got her pregnant. Got her pregnant. Now, I realize that you can have homosexual relationships and that women can have sleep with women, men can sleep with men. However, the majority of the population is heterosexual. I have never understood why they allow male correction officers to guard female inmates and why they allow female inmates to guard, excuse me, why they allow female correction officers to guard male inmates. 
It has never made sense to me. And every time I see one of these stories, I get even more dogged that we need to put a stop to that. You know, you saw what happened with Danamora, right? At Danamora where uh, that guard, the woman, the female, was sleeping with two inmates, male inmates, and she helped them escape. She helped them escape. Now, if they were guarded by a male, would that have happened? No. Ronnell Wilson, that whole situation doesn't happen. This situation doesn't happen if she's guarded by women. I mean, again, you can be, of course, uh, intimate with somebody of your own gender. But I really do think if you made this one change in city jails, in state prisons, in federal prisons, if you made this one change, it would significantly reduce the likelihood of this happening. And I know it's politically incorrect, and I know nobody's proposing this, really. I, I continue to think this would save us a lot of aggravation. Um, because there's no, read for, no need for this. No need for this. I mean, the bottom line is, when you're stuck, if you're a heterosexual male, and you, you're stuck in a prison, and you have no female companionship, any woman starts looking pretty good to you in short order. And so you're in close confines with a female correction officer. It dramatically increases the likelihood that something like this is going to happen. And same with the genders reversed. My view is you have female correction officers guard female inmates. You have male correction officers guard male inmates. Period. I I think this is as simple as can be. Would it put an end to this totally? No. Would it substantially reduce this? Absolutely. What say you? What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Tonight, I'm supposed to have my rescheduled dinner with that fellow that I have helped get out of prison. So I'll let you know how that goes. Um, so there's so there's that. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. And uh, tomorrow, uh, I'm very excited. We're going to have Alex Bennett on the show. Also, we're going to do a legal panel. With uh, I'm look I'm gonna have a couple of really interesting judges on the show tomorrow to break down some of these legal issues that uh, that have been getting a lot of attention, including the Mar-a-Lago situation, because that's a situation that has become so politicized, it's difficult to sort of get straight legal analysis because it seems like everybody is pushing their own agenda, whatever that agenda happens to be. Coming up in about uh, 15 minutes, we're going to talk with my friend Mike Porcelli. He is a master mechanic. He's somebody that teaches auto technology in uh, in college. And he believes he has his finger on the next American revolution. And I'm looking forward to uh, to chatting with him. All right. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. What do you make of my call for only female inmates to guard female prisoners and vice versa. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Lydia in Brooklyn. Hello, Lydia. 
Yes, hello, Frank. Um, I'm waiting here for a different topic. Is that okay? As you're done, Lydia, say whatever you like. Thank you so much. I'm a certified school teacher, and I remember a while back you were discussing on the air that students who fell behind in their studies due to COVID can get help um, with their studies. The federal government has put aside money so teachers could apply for help with these students, and I was wondering if you can give me more information on that? You know, uh, Lydia, I actually don't remember talking about that. Yes, yes. You were saying that, oh, you know, there's tutoring. The government put aside money for tutoring. It teaches if you want to make some money. Um, the federal government putting aside, um, maybe you can open an agency. I remember, you know, you saying that. And I was saying, oh, wow, I'm a teacher. And uh, many of my students uh, have fallen behind due to COVID. And that seems like something that I would want to look into. So, um yeah, it's not something that I'm up on, unfortunately. I uh, I wish I had more information, but I'm sure that if I said it or if someone else said it, I'm sure those resources are available. If you email me, Lydia, I'd be happy to try and uh, find something out for you and, and connect you with, um, with, you know, with the proper resources. That would be amazing. Is Great. Morano M-O-R-A-N-O yes. or M-A-R? M-O-R, Frank dot M-O-R-A-N-O. Okay, and thank you so much. Actually, you spoke about it a few months ago, but I guess you don't remember. I don't, but I will look into it for you and uh, get you whatever information I have. You're very kind. Thank Th- you so thanks, much. Thanks, Lydia. I'll look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. 800-848-9222. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds vaguely familiar. I just, I don't remember it off the top of my head. You know, um, you do a lot of talking in the course of four hours, let alone every day and to something that came up months ago, I don't recall. Sorry about that. All right, 800-848-9222. That's uh, 1-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to uh, Lamar in uh, downtown New York City. Hello, Lamar. Good morning, Mr. Morano. We were very concerned about you because when we initially heard about this upcoming dinner, it brought to mind an old saying, you know, Mr. Morello, it's hard for a polecat to change his stripes. You're dealing with a man who is an out-and-out criminal. We don't know what he was incarcerated for, but we recall the tragic events that transpired after Norman Mailer attempted to do what you're doing now. Please exercise caution with this man. Absolutely, I will. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's a good restaurant we're going to. So uh, if if it all does end for me tonight, at least I'll get one last good meal out of it, right? All right. 800-848-9222. Ralph is in New Jersey. Hello, Ralph. Okay. Uh, so um, this situation regarding Taiwan, I like to believe it's a distraction, okay? Because immediately right after Pelosi, we are well aware, a delegation of another delegation of from the U.S. Congress, led by Ed Markey, went up there, okay? So this is more to distract us because the election is coming up and to score political points. And for that matter, I could say the same thing about China. They are trying to distract from the domestic issues plaguing this, their country right now. You got the drought. You got the economic uh, collapse that's about to happen in, in that country, China. So all of this is about that. And you're not pulling for that, I'm sure. Not me either. But I'm closely watching what they're doing because according to Mark Levin, the great one, we see 
a slow motion of invading Taiwan by that animal, China. What do you say about that, Frank? All right, Ralph, thank you. I'm not really sure what, that I have much to add there, I'll be honest. I know you were talking about uh, Taiwan. I think the whole idea of a second delegation there is, I, I think it's a little absurd, to be honest. I, I think, you know, look, Nancy Pelosi visited. She made her point that uh, we're not going to get intimidated by China. We're not going to let China dictate American statesmen's far, you know, policy. Okay. But to make this second trip to Taiwan, I, I think is just adding insult to injury. I mean, do you know what China would have to do in order to um, totally stop Taiwan? They wouldn't have to invade anything. They would just, they all they would have to do is stop Taiwan from having goods imported. That's it. They don't shut the whole, you know, you want to call it a country? I, I, I think of it as a country. They could shut the whole country down with one blockade. I mean, I, I feel like this second trip there was unnecessary and incredibly foolhardy, personally. Uh, 800-848-9222. But I didn't want to get into I'm not sure why Ralph brought up Taiwan in the context of me discussing, you know, whether or not you should have same-sex inmates being guarded by folks of the same gender. I just, I don't get that. All right. Um, hey, you know what we'll do? Mike Porcelli's coming up. So why don't we try and give away $1,000 now to the seventh caller to 800-848-9222. If you are the seventh caller to 800-848-9222, uh, then we're going to give you a chance to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you could do that, you will be $1,000 richer. As simple as that. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 thousand dollar minute and Mike Porcelli coming up straight ahead. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Dirty to me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the time has come for us to try and give away $1,000. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host... Frank 
And let's meet today's contestant, Paul in Nanuet. Hello there, Paul. How you doing there, Frank? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening, Paul. Thanks for uh, uh, being a part of our show. Thank you. I really enjoy the show. I listen to it every morning. Oh, great. Okay, so you must be an old pro at this particular game, right? You know the rules? Uh, no, I actually don't know the rules uh, because I really uh, I listen, but I don't listen that well sometimes. Okay, well, but you listen every day? Uh, yes, I do. I okay. do, but I, I get I get emails in between and different things. So okay, uh, well, it's, it's very simple. It's very simple. So after I ask you the first question, we're going to start the timer, which will be sixty seconds. And uh, we're going to ask you 10 relatively easy trivia questions. And then um, you will have to answer all 10 of these in 60 seconds. If you answer a question correctly, I'm just going to move on to the next one so that we can run through these. If you answer a question incorrectly, you'll hear an incorrect buzzer and you will not get $1,000. Okay? Okay, gotcha. All right. Ready to go? Yes, sir. All right. Name... A brand of gum. Wrigley's. What holiday marks the unofficial end of summer? Labor Day. What's the first name of playwright Shakespeare? I don't know. Shakespeare. Shakespeare. He wrote Romeo and Juliet. What was his first name? Starts with a W. Willard. Willard? Willard Shakespeare? No, Paul, it's William. William Shakespeare. Oh. Paul, oh, Paul, he hung up. I, I didn't mean to embarrass him, but... I mean, that is... Uh, Willard Shakespeare. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. You know, if uh, Richard Bay was still here, he'd be saying, where do they find these people? Um, you know what? Some people have suggested, and I've resisted this, but some people have suggested that we start asking, screening people and asking a qualifying question because that's pretty bad. I mean, and I'm I'm not a scholar. I don't pretend to be a literary historian at all. But you have to know Shakespeare's first name, right? That is a qualifying question. Right. Uh, I feel bad because he seemed like a nice guy. But, uh, Paul, if you want to call back, give Kenneth your information and we will send you a, uh, a consolation prize. Someone who is in the midst of trying to bring about an educational revolution is my friend Mike Porcelli. Mike Porcelli has been... A radio talk show host. He is a he teaches automotive technology at uh, the City University of New York, and he is a master certified mechanic. And he is the most knowledgeable, most passionate mechanic I have ever spoken to and ever met. And right now he is on a one man mission to change education in this country as we know it a tremendous op-ed in the uh, in some of the queen's papers the queen's ledger the forest hill times uh, the queen's examiner it's carried in a bunch of the weeklies the brooklyn downtown star he wrote this uh, 
terrific op-ed in July all about the next American revolution. Here to tell us about it is the one and only Mike Porcelli. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Good morning, Frank. So, um, what I have, is... I have to give you? I have to give you all the credit, though. You inspire me. Oh, please. Well, that's very nice of you. I, I could tell uh, people that uh, you've uh, been been there for me uh, when I've been in a lot of jams, and uh, not only the most knowledgeable uh, mechanic I know, but somebody who. Uh, you can always count on when the when the chips are down. So I I, uh, I appreciate your friendship and your expertise a great deal. Um, so Mike, let's talk about your op-ed here. What is the next American Revolution? The restoration of trade education in this country, which has been destroyed over the last sixty years. Now, why did why did trade education get destroyed in this country? How did that happen? I believe it started when I was in high school, and they tried to keep me out of shop class. And I was born to be in shop class. And uh, they, the school told me, you know, I'm too smart for shop class. Uh, you know, you have to go to college. Uh, I, went, I, I did, but I said, I like my options. I want to do both. So I did both. But they tried to discourage me from taking shop class, and they've discouraged many students from taking shop class. And it's a great disservice to students who are naturally inclined for that sort of career like I am. And what sort of careers are available um, to you if you, uh, you know, do go the route of shop class or trade education? What can you do? The trades offer some of the best jobs in the country, some of the highest paying jobs, some of the most rewarding jobs. I love the work I do. I fix things every day. How many people can say that they get to fix things every day? You know, most people break things every day. <laughs> That's true. Hey, uh, so there's all this pressure in the school system that I think everybody has noticed that every high school kid should go to college. I know you're a, a college graduate. <clears throat> um, you've not only got a BA in economics and psychology, but an MBA. What's wrong with that approach of occur- encouraging every high school student to go to college? What's wrong is it doesn't, it doesn't take into account the students' natural abilities and talents. And I think the key to education should be to match the instruction to what the student is uh, interested in learning, capable of learning. Everybody has natural talents and abilities. The thing I wrote about was uh, people should be entitled to or should have the opportunity for life, liberty, and the pursuit of their happiest career. And the the way to get to your happiest career is to be able to utilize your natural talents and abilities. And the schools don't even consider the natural talents and abilities, except in the areas of sports and uh, things like music. You know, you don't force a kid who's naturally inclined to play the piano, you don't force them to take up the tuba, do you? And you don't take, you know, kids that are seven feet tall and put them on the gymnastics team. You don't take the short kids and put them on the football team, right? Uh, kids, kids have natural athletic abilities, and the schools do a good job of assessing those abilities and placing those students in, in the sports where they can make the best use of those abilities. They don't do that when it comes to instruction. They, they try and force everybody into this, uh, this cookie-cutter approach of everybody has to go to college because that makes the administrators feel good. They think they're doing a good job by getting a lot of kids to go to college, 
And then half of them drop out before they graduate. So I say if everybody has if everybody is born with natural abilities, and I think this is this is the key. As as a new parent, you're going to notice your son. He's going to demonstrate to you what his natural talents and abilities are. And you're going to, if you're a good parent, which I know you will be, you're going to take advantage of that, and you're going to use those as your cue to to lead him to develop those talents and abilities, aren't you? Oh, no, without question. If people just tuning in, we're talking with um, Mike Porcelli. He is a master mechanic and a, a uh, teacher at uh, the City University of New York's Bronx Community College. And uh, he's somebody that has been banging the drum loudly and consistently to bring back trade education in this country. And uh, I'll tell you, if you look at the likelihood of what you can earn as a plumber, a carpenter, an electrician versus what you can earn as an attorney right after law school, I think you'd be hard-pressed to come up with attorney as a better career option for somebody that's looking to not only support themselves but a family. And I'm guessing, Mike, that if you go the trade route rather than, say, the legal profession, that you're ending up with a lot less in terms of debt, right? Absolutely. Uh, Most people can uh, enter a trade, learn a trade, and have zero college debt. Uh, We have examples of students who took a high school automotive program immediately get a job on graduation and and within a couple of years they can make more money than their teachers more money than their parents i have a neighbor who i showed the uh, editorial to and i i told him about that i said we have cases where students make more than their parents as soon as they graduate he said that's exactly what he did he took a diesel training program when he was in high school in the city and immediately got a job making more money than his parents unfortunately i think that program that he took has been done away with wow wow so uh, all those students that you know followed him that didn't have the opportunity for that training they were they were not well served by the department of education yeah well it doesn't sound that way at all mike is trade education whether we're talking about automotive whether we're talking about electric whether we're talking about carpentry Now that it seems like the whole world is run by a computer, some computer or another, is trade education still as important today as it was 30 years ago? And are there still as many career opportunities to somebody that avails themselves of a proper vocational education today versus 30 years ago? I'd say there are more opportunities today, more varied opportunities. With uh, The more technology evolves, the more people we need to maintain the technology. Uh, we say in school, I tell the students, engineers design things that break, mechanics make them work. And I, I say a mechanic is anyone who works with tools. So it doesn't matter if you're working on electrical or plumbing or um, vehicles. We're all mechanics. We fix, we fix things that break. And there's a tremendous opportunity out there. There are millions of jobs unfilled, good, good-paying technical jobs that the schools are just not supplying the people needed to fill those jobs. Mm. I, I say if, if people are born, I believe people are born with varied natural abilities. And if half the people born have mechanical abilities like I do uh, or any kind, any kind of ability you know, related to the trades, 
if half of the people have those abilities, why are not half the school resources devoted to those areas? Uh, I mean, uh, to me, it makes no sense at all. Uh, I completely agree with you. Do you think there? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I I was going to say, but I'm encouraged. Last week, I went to the city and state education summit. It was a conference on education. And the chancellor of DOE, David Banks, was there. And he made a statement. He said he's bringing back CTE. But the funny thing to me was he said, but it's not your grandfather's CTE. My next, my next article is called Welcome to Shop Class. It's not your grandfather's. It's high tech. And that title I came up with a week before the conference. Wow. So as soon as, as soon as I heard him say it's not your grandfather's CTE, I said, he's got it. He's on the right track. I spoke to him afterwards, and he, he apparently is on the right track, and I hope to be able to work oh, with him. Oh, that's great. To, that's to great. Get, get CTE back in school. Yeah, and uh, C- what is CTE? CTE is the... The modern name for uh, vocational training is mm-hmm. career and technical education. They gave it a fancier title, and then they cut the programs. <laughs> That's wild. Do you think there's any correlation between the decline in trade education and the decline in American manufacturing over the years? It's no secret that uh, if you look at what's on your person right now or what what's in the room around you, you'll see uh, labels that say made in China, made in Vietnam, made in Taiwan, made in Mexico, and fewer and fewer goods manufactured in this country. Do you think that's tied to the fact that there are fewer people that know how to make anything? Absolutely. Companies cannot find workers to fix things or build things. You know, when I say mechanics fix things, we also build things. Remember the example I gave of the atomic bomb. The physicist came up with the formula, but the machinist made the bomb work. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's uh, you, you've taught me, and I know you've repeated many times that uh, the most important person in any room is the guy that knows how to fix what's broken. You could have the pope and the president in in the middle of a room, and if uh, the lights go out and the air conditioning no longer works, then all of a sudden the most important person in the room is the technician that knows how to fix it, right? Right, and if your transmitter goes down, it's the guy that can flip it back on, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, Dan Herschel, our chief engineer, he knows exactly how important he is when uh, when things go wrong. So uh, that's, uh, that's, that's important. All right, so I guess the million-dollar question, it sounds like in New York, they're moving in the right direction again. But as a country, what needs to happen in order to embrace trade education? What's the next step in in making it so that uh, people can get a good job uh, out of out of school and they don't need to incur mountains of debt for degrees that they're never going to use? We have to get rid of the idea that the trades are not respectable. And schools have fostered that perception for as long as I can remember. That's they tried to keep me out of shop class because they said it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a good career path. Mm. Mm. And uh, if we if we get if we get people to realize that, uh, I probably have more training than most doctors. I, I'm a car doctor. I do everything that doctors do on people. I do on cars. Sure. Uh, and. You know, what I do and what other mechanics do, electricians, plumbers, uh, we, you know, last year, my uh, editorial last year was about the 
the uh, parade the city held to honor all the essential workers except the mechanics. They totally left the mechanics out of the parade to honor essential workers, even though it was the mechanics that got the 14 vehicles running for the parade. <laughs> there is certainly an irony there. Hey, uh, Steve in New Jersey has a comment about what we're talking about. Hello, Steve. Hi, how are you? Good. What's your name? I went to school. I studied music education and jazz performance, but in order to do that, uh, rather than wait tables, I ended up taking a job as an electrical apprentice. And uh, in doing so, once I finished college, I was making more money as an electrician. And after that, I continued on that electrical path, and uh, it turned out to be a wonderful career. And I will say that there are not enough people coming up through the trades and it's because everybody buys into this big business that uh, the colleges sell. Yeah, no, I'm not surprised to hear that. And, Steve, thanks for calling. Thanks for sharing that. Mike, I, I think uh, that sounds like a pretty common experience for people that uh, have Steve's career trajectory, right? Absolutely. And Steve probably still makes more money than he would if he had taken the other path. Mm. No, that's certainly true. So, uh, yeah, sign me up as uh, as somebody that uh, that that believes there needs to be a greater emphasis on vocational schools and trade education, and uh, whatever we can do to move things back in that direction. And I'm very very pleased by what you're saying about what David Banks, the New York City Schools Chancellor, had to say on this subject. And hopefully, a lot of other school districts will follow suit. Well, I hope I hope they will, and uh, it's the only way to save the country. When we, when we run out of people who can make things work, nothing's going to work. Yeah, well said. Mike, thanks very much. It's always a treat to talk with you. And uh, if folks have questions for you or if folks want to get in touch with you or learn more about your work and things of that nature, what's the best way for them to do that? Just look me up on LinkedIn. Just Google Mike Porcelli, Master Mechanic, and I'm the first thing that comes up. There you go. P-O-R-C-E-L-L-I. Thank you, Mike. Okay. Thank you, Frank. Good. Thank you very much. You want to comment on anything we've covered today for 15 seconds or anything at all, you can give me a call one 800 We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a moment. That's one 800 We'll do 15 seconds of fame in about 10 minutes, but you can start queuing up now if you want. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
The Other Side of Midnight. Not only the name of our radio program, but the name of this song. A terrific original song that was crafted to us by Stevie G and the Emoters. And uh, we're very, very pleased that he's made this available to us. If you ever want to um, want to hear this whenever you want, you could purchase this, I think, for a dollar on iTunes. Just search The Other Side of Midnight or uh, Stevie G in the... Takamama Band, and uh, it comes right up. And uh, I'd love to make Stevie G a, uh, a millionaire by having people download this song. So, searching on iTunes. Hey, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a moment. That's where you get to sound off on anything you want for 15 seconds. Corey in Florida had a, a comment about my discussion with Mike Porcelli, though. Hello, Corey. Hey, Frank. I, I It was an excellent discussion. Um, me, myself, I went to poly prep. Um, I wasn't the top student, but I was never offered any kind of uh, option to go to, say, a SUNY school like a SUNY Maritime or Farmingdale school where I could learn how to become a pilot. There are tons of schools like that. All they wanted to do was push me towards these high-end private universities, and I think he, he's absolutely correct in that there are other ways to go. Oh, no, no, are, no question about it, Corey. Okay. And I, I don't understand where, why and why we got away from that and when we got away from that. I don't understand why we wouldn't encourage more children to pursue a, uh, a trade uh, I said to my wife recently um, that uh, if our son were to become a plumber or something along those lines, I would love it. I, I would absolutely uh, love it. But, Corey, what is your profession? What do you do for work, or, or what did you do for work? Right now I, I do uh, real estate management. Gotcha. And, um, but right, if, if I had the opportunity and my guidance counselor would have said, hey, you can go to this liberal arts college that you have to pay $30,000 a year for to be Hofstra University, or you could go to a SUNY maritime school right. or a SUNY school where you learn how to fly. And I, and I love maritime. I'm, I'm a mariner. I would have totally gone for that, but that was never offered to me. Yep. No, I, I, I would have come out with a degree. And a profession. Yeah, no, I can understand that, Corey. Hey, uh, Corey, you didn't happen to go to Poly Prep at the same time Sib Rosenberg was there, did you? No, no. No, before I'm or after? a little after? bit younger than he is. Okay. All right. Well, uh, they produced some fine, I fine graduates. I did graduate, though. You I did, did not... graduate, though. I believe you. I did graduate, though. He was kicked out. Is that right? <laughs> Yes. No. Not ki- I don't know if he was kicked out or his parents took him out. But. Oh, really? Well, we'll investigate. Corey, thank you. Good luck yeah. with all your your efforts. Um, that's interesting. I got to ask Sid about that. By the way, for those of you that are in Brooklyn, uh, Sid is going to be doing a big event at Michaels of Brooklyn on uh, Saturday, uh, promoting his book. I think I'm going to be there now. Saturday is one of those days. I am triple booked. So we're having our neighbors are all having a neighbors party that day. It's not quite a block party, but it's almost a block party. 
where a bunch of the neighbors, we're not closing off the street or anything, but every neighbor has like a station. So you, you every neighbor is responsible for a certain food or refreshment. And the idea is, I guess, that you rotate and you go to all the neighbors' houses. It's going to be very interesting to see how this goes. But I did tell Sid I would stop by that event at uh, at Michael's of Brooklyn, and I do like Michael's of Brooklyn. So, and I'm still hoping to get my copy of Sid's book. I I paid for it, I've ordered a copy, and yet so far, no dice. By the way, um, you know you know what I noticed. Speaking of mechanics and fixing things, the outside of this studio, it is super warm. I was in the production studio before the show. I was literally sweating because it was so hot. I mean, it's really warm. So then I walked in here three, three and a half hours ago, maybe maybe a little more than that, and it's cool. And I really liked it because it's such a welcome respite, the studio being cool, from the sauna that's in the rest of the, you know, that's outside of the studio. I said, this is nice. I'll just stay in the studio. I'll play it cool. And I'm wearing shorts also. But the studio, because I've been in here for four hours almost, now I'm pretty chilly. So now I don't want to turn up the temperature much. I mean, look, it's somebody else's problem in seven minutes. But I don't want to turn up the temperature much, but I'm also now very cold. But... You step outside that studio, and it's it's like going from east to west Berlin. You go from 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 a meat locker to a sauna. So I'm not sure the best way to handle it. I raised it a degree, but I'm not sure if that's the if that's going to be sufficient in terms because I'm still pretty cold. It's almost I, I'm getting goosebumps. So cold, but it's super hot outside of this door. It's like you're picking your poison. All right. Um, without further ado, so what is the story with the with the temperature? Are you guys warm over there? No, it's cool in here. Oh, the other cool. day it was warm, but now I guess whatever was wrong with it, it's cool as can be in here because I always keep it cold. It's 67 degrees in here right now. Yeah, I raised – it was 67 in here. I raised it to 70, I think, or 69 because it was, it was too cold. But uh, – it is warm out there, though, in the hallway. Right? Yeah, it's like a sauna. It is it like is. a sauna. It, you know, um, is it not working the air conditioning, or is that is that something that the building does to maintain to control energy no, it, consumption? It, it's usually working. I mean, it's usually cool or at least room temperature. Right. But is at least it's got to be seventy five, seventy six degrees. Yeah. In the right. hallway. Well, I, I feel bad for you know for everybody that's not in one of the cool rooms. We're lucky enough to be in one of the cool rooms. So. That's where the cool kids go, the cool rooms. Without further ado, it is time for you to be heard for 15 seconds, 800-848-9222. Uh, any comment you'd like to make, do so in 15 seconds or less, 1-800-848-9222. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Mario is in Bayside. Hello, Mario. Hey, how you doing? Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead, Mario. Yep. I'm master plumber here in New York City, and it's a disgrace what's going on. I got people walking into my office that can't even read a ruler. Ooh, I hate to hear that. Russ in White Plains. Norman Mailer's protege, Jack Henry Abbott, who stabbed a waiter because he wouldn't let him use the bathroom in a restaurant, was acquitted of murder by that brilliant lawyer, Ivan Fisher. 
800-848-9222. Joe and Ron Konkama. Great show, Frank. I think you make a suggestion like uh, Frankie from Glendale. Shout out to him of having like an auto lab hour with that guy. It would be great. I'm an old, I was a mechanic for 14 years. And I love cars, and there's a lot of people out listening that would love to have a show like Thank that. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, I would agree with you. And, you know, I think Mike Porcelli actually knows Frankie and Glendale. 800-848-9222. open lines if you want to queue up. Mike in Lake George. Good morrow again, Frank. I gotta, I'll give a shout-out to Giuseppe and Mark Antima. And you know what? I gotta, uh, I'd love to speak to John Casamitini's one day. My dad, rest his soul, 88. He was a manager, district manager. 52 years, the old Grand Union Supermarkets, Long Island. Wow. And you know what? And everyone would call him Carmine. His name was Carmen. Every time I hear Carmine, <laughs> I smile. I love it. Thank you. Victor in Manhattan. Oh, when I was in Central Park last week, I was sitting next to Alan Dershowitz, and I asked him, are you still practicing law? He replied, of course I am. I asked, what is your fee? He replied, $2,000 for four questions. I said, don't you think that's a bit excessive? He replied, perhaps now, what's your fourth question? <laughs> Terry in Bayside. Terry. Hello. 800-848-9222. Mike in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. Thank goodness you found a bathroom to use, Frank, because if you become a public urinator, it's not good. But you can always use the Tyson excuse. <laughs> Mike always manages to slip a Seinfeld reference in there. That is from the episode where they can't find their car and they're lost in the parking garage, which is a great episode and underrated. A lot of people don't list that as one of their uh, favorites, but I like it a lot. 800-848-9222. <sighs> Ralph is in New Jersey. Hello, Ralph. Okay, I, I want people to not call for the inflation bill as well as the chip bill by Joseph Biden, because it's a giveaway to communist China. Thank you. Thank you, Ralph. I, I think we'll end, it, we'll end it there. You know, that chip bill is interesting. I read an interesting article over the weekend that basically said the problems with that chips bill are the problems with every other type of corporate welfare, which is it's costly and it may not necessarily produce the result that the proponents of it are expecting. So I mean, I haven't looked into it that closely. I will be looking into that in the um, coming days. And, uh, I mean, look, it's passed now. Uh, so, But it, it's going to be interesting to see how that, uh, how that works out. Hey, you know who's coming on the show this week? In addition to our judges panel tomorrow, in addition to Alex Bennett tomorrow, we're going to have, we're going to have a good discussion about artificial intelligence tomorrow as well. Cousin Brucey joining me this week. So uh, I had a nice conversation with Cousin Brucey over the weekend, and uh, I certainly listened to a, a bit of his show, as I do most Saturdays. And he is tremendous. He's still at the top of his game, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking with him about radio, about music, about some of the uh, changes that he's observed as a radio personality over the last 60 years, quite frankly, and uh, some of the things that are the same now. So I'm looking forward to that whole, um, you know, that whole situation. Hey, um, this has been a lot of fun. You want to stay in touch, you can do so. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. You can find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. Anthony just uh, tweeted at me, great show, Willard notwithstanding. I like that. Willard Shakespeare. I like it. All right. (laughs) Frank Morano, good day.